2: Hey everybody, it's Monica Jones, your host for the Sunday Afternoon Radio Theater, Sunday. And I'm glad to have you with me, and and uh, also joining me is my co-host and tech geek, Victor Gouveia.
1: Hey everybody.
2: And, um, so, uh, anyway, this week, I'm going to bring you, um some shows that have to do with theaters and matinees and uh, I think I'm going to do more of those next week too, I'm going to try to find some Christmas ones Um, but anyhow (laughs) Uh, we're glad to have you and um, if you like what you hear um, like us to us Um, get your notification ding-donger and um, you'll find us anywhere, we're on YouTube, Facebook Twitter, anyway um, like us, subscribe, uh, leave us comments, and if there's something that uh, you want to hear, be sure and let me know and um, you can contact us uh, on Twitter at Blind Who's B L I N D W H O S E, and uh, Facebook and YouTube and everywhere else is uh, who's blind. Life uh, is it anyway? And we are also. If you don't like doing any of those, we're also on um, all of the podcasts or so whatever flavor of podcasts um place you like to go, you'll find us there. In fact I just found it today on Apple Podcasts. Uh well I mean I'm, we've been on Apple Podcasts but I finally got the Apple Podcasts player. It used to be uh included in um in the apps on the phone, but it's not anymore. You have to get it from the app store. But anyway, um As I said, this week I'm doing um, Theaters And the first one um, That I've got It's called um, 1030 Theaters And I don't know why they named it that But that's just what That's what they called it um,
1: Is it the time you came on?
2: Well, I, I looked that up and Because I, I kind of thought the same thing But uh, It was just like one zero theater, three zero theater. It didn't. It, well, you can't do colons and file names. So I keep forgetting that. And that's something <laughs> that I've known for ages, but anyway, it's called Dr. McGregor and the Curious Bone.
3: Theater ten thirty presents from Vancouver, Dr. McGregor and the Case of the Curious Bone, a play by Betty Lambert. Oh, I knew it. One
4: yeah. night out of ten, you're home on time. And it has to
3: be tonight. You said supper at six, Mrs. No, Graydon. No, you're getting grumpy with me, Dr. McGregor. Don't do any good to your juices. Nine out of ten grumpy people don't digest their food properly. Is that so? There's in the magazine. Hmm. Anyway, I was on an errand of mercy. That's why I'm late. Oh, poor Miss Schofield. Yes, yeah, she's uh, she's getting worse, I'm afraid. Oh, not after Schofield. <laughs> No, she's got nurses running after her day and night. Yes, and she makes them run too, above and eye in my head. No, it's poor Miss Jenny I was thinking of all alone in that big old house. Mr. No, I've been inside that house. Well, it's too big a place for two old ladies to handle. The whole West Wing's closed up. Everything's in a dreadful state with Miss Aston Hospital. The cupboards are I just And you've looked in all the cupboards, of course. I had to find a tea towel now, didn't I? Yes. I had to dry a week's dishes. It's <laughs> a strange business. Who's wonder what happened to make them so distrustful of people. That
4: story. Huh? My old aunt. She was a girl at the time. She told me about it. Wasn't yeah. mm, Yes. Yeah. Tragic, dear.
3: Mom. That's all. If some people think other people are Nosy Parkers, just <laughs> because they have to look in the cupboard for a tea towel, then some people shouldn't be Nosy Parkers themselves. Yes, well, it's all so long ago. I'm sure it's a bit of no consequence.
4: Mm. They shut up the house right after it happened, 50 years ago. Sent off the servants without a day's notice. Cut off all the friends. Well, they looked like friends. This
3: Miss Jenny's not too well, I suppose I really ought to drop by sometime. She's just getting on, you know. I, I don't think she needs a doctor. nothing to see anyway. It's just a big old house. Mrs. Graydon, I am not interested in the Schofield house as such or in the local gossip. I as Miss Esther Schofield's physician. I suppose I could be considered the family oh, doctor. Oh, yes. You haven't a curious
4: bone in your body. Of course, the, uh, the Schofields are always odd. Oh, Mr. Scofield! Now out. He wouldn't even trust the bank. He built a special room to keep his money in. Hmm? And those high walls, well, that was his doing.
3: The sun never gets inside that house. It smells quite musty. I take it they were left waiting at the altar or something? Well, no one ever really knew which one he killed it, but as you say, it's, it's an old story. No one would be interested now. <laughs> of course. But you know, it's really my duty to check up on Miss Jenny, huh? Make sure she's eating properly. That's oh, all right. yes. Doctors can go anywhere. That's just a uh, professional interest. But anyone. I never it. said you were a nosy parker, Mrs. Gray. If you're going,
4: I'm going too.
3: Well, perhaps you're better. I'll probably never get inside by myself. She doesn't answer at first. She just has to keep right on. Miss Jennings? Miss Jenny, I know you're in there. She's got
4: so deaf, you know, she can't hear a thing now. Miss Jennings? It's Mrs. Graydon.
3: You remember me. I was here this afternoon. Yes, it's a lonely place. No houses for miles, not even a proper road. Those trees and the wall must keep the house in constant shadow.
4: Miss Jenny. Oh, go away. We've just come to see how you are, Miss Jenny. I'll fix a dog on you. Now, Miss Jenny, you know there isn't a dog anymore. This is Dr. McGregor. It's
3: not me who needs a doctor. It's Esther who's sick. You the doctor who's taking care of Esther? Yes, I am. Going to die? Doing all that is humanly possible, Miss Jenny. Look at now she's not so bad once you get inside. I know what you said We'll only stay a minute, Miss Jenny Tell that woman to stop shouting Training like a horse So, you're the doctor I hear they cough up blood when they've got what she's got That true? Miss Esther was resting satisfactory this afternoon. Never could stand the sight of blood, Esther. Always squeamish. Miss Esther's in good hands with Dr. McGregor. There she goes again. I, I don't think there's any need, Mrs. Grink. Think I don't know, people always shouting. I thought I might check you over, Miss Jenny. If you don't mind, if I could listen to your heart. Nothing wrong with my heart. Yes, Esther always thought I'd be the first to go. Huh. Now, breathe deeply, deep, please. Good Once again Thank you well, I know what goes on I saw you coming up the walk I was here all the time <laughs> Just Training like a horse Who is that woman? Mrs. Graydon is my housekeeper Don't mind me I won't say a word There we are. That seems very good Any stomach trouble? Eat what I like Pound of a dollar. I will oh. live to be a hundred. I'll <laughs> outlive her anyway. He thought she'd dance in my grave. Uh, now, they are. What for? Well, I, I want to take a look at your throat. Ah. Uh... Hmm. Yes, yes, everything seems fine. Now, I'll just take your blood pressure if you'd like to roll up your sleeve. You're always jealous of me, you know. Plain as a tourney, Pastor. Uh, Miss Jenny, do you mind rolling up your sleeve? That's enough, young man. There's nothing wrong with me. <sighs> Very well, Miss Jenny, Think I don't know what you came for? Nice bit of gossip, that's all you were here for. He'd Like to know, wouldn't you? Well, I'll tell you this much: it wasn't her he wanted. I was the beauty. Look at these bones; you can still see it, can't you? I'm sure you were an extremely handsome woman, Miss Jenny. Now, if I could just wash my hands. Oh, it's up the stairs. I'll be right back.
4: Where's he off to? The doctor just wants to wash his hands, Miss Jenny. He'll be right
3: down. He was a bit like this, Dr. chip. Who? Your young man? Ah, you'd like to know, wouldn't you? Never you mind. Yes, younger, of course. But there's something quiet. He was too quiet. That's what he couldn't stand about, Esther. Always talked your ear off, Esther. I used to watch him looking polite, and Esther's mouth going a mile a minute. I just used to turn away. (laughs) That made her boil. What's he doing up there? (laughs) Well, she was plain as a horse, and not the front end either. (laughs) No. No, I was the one. I know things just as well as you or anybody. I'm sure you do, Miss Jenny. He's taking his time about it. Maybe he's got lost. Go up and get him. Go oh, on. All right, Miss Ginny. There's no need to push. Could have washed his hands in the sink. Bunch of gossipy old snoops poking and prying. Dr. McGregor? Dr. McGregor? Dr. McGregor? Dr. McGregor. Oh. It's just me. I must have taken a long
4: turn. Oh, I should have warned you. That, that That's the part of the house that's shut up. Oh. The whole west wing. That's where
3: old Mr. Schofield used to have his rooms. Well, I seem to be in a hall. But, but I tried the first switch I found. No light came on, so I feel like i would taken a wrong turn. Here, here, just a minute while we're up here. Hold the door open a minute. Hmm? Yes, you, you can see down the hall in the light in the top of the stairs. Look at that. Oh, wing can't be shut off, though. Oh, yes, it is. It's for years and years. But someone uses that room at the end. Well, if you can see footprints in the dust. Well, never mind, they're to the light switch, but the others go right up to that room at the end of the hall, the one with the iron door. That must have been his room. The front you know, where he kept
4: all his money. We'd better go down now, Doctor, or she'll have a fit. Yeah. I, uh... I, wonder how
3: recent they were. Oh. They Footprints. How oh, to turn in that night? Well, you took your own sweet time about it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Miss Jenny. I took the wrong turn and ended up in the west wing. West wing's all closed off now. Yes, I realized as much when I flicked the light switch and no light came on. The light and heat shut off. Nobody uses that wing anymore. Nobody? We don't like people snooping around, trying to find out things. Yes. Well, I'm afraid we'll have to be going, Miss Jenny. I, I'll keep you informed about your sister. She always thought I'd go first. Oh, I'm sure you'll live to a ripe old age, Miss Jenny. Ripe old age, eh? <laughs> so <that's> to Esther. <sighs> well. Hot. Hot? That's putting it mildly. Crackers if you have to No, I mean... She said no one ever used that west wing, didn't she? Wait a What? Look up there, Mrs. Brady. Where? That light, uh, up there on the second floor. Well, that's queer. That's in the west wing. Yes. Mm. Must be coming from that room at the end of the hall. I flicked the switch in the hall just once. Must be the switch for the room. Yes, I flicked it only once, so, so the light is obviously still on. But Miss, Miss Jenny said all the lights were off in the west wing. Yeah, she did, didn't she? <laughs> Mister Schofield must be an extremely cautious man. Why? See those bars on the window. Well, so there are. Someone broke the glass behind them too. Oh, kids, probably. You're shutting up place like this just makes kids worse. That's why they used to keep the gate
4: locked. <laughs> Trespassers will be prosecuted.
3: Well, <laughs> here you can't see that window at all. No, the
4: walls are too
3: high. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Gravel, uh, mm-hmm. what exactly was this this trouble you referred to? Uh, some man, I think, you said? Well, uh, he came here on business. After all, Mr. Schofield died. Uh, Schofield had a mine up at the island, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. And after this this young fellow came along to help the Schofield girls settle up business matters. Mm-hmm. He stayed here at the house. That was when they had servants. How long was he there? Well, of course, it was before my time. I, I don't know personally. But my old aunt says it was long enough to start people talking. Mm-hmm. You know how people
4: gossip. You could see the Schofield girls were mad for him, all right. <laughs> well, they weren't exactly girls anymore, but... And no one could tell which one it was he liked. Oh, he was calling one of them. He used to buy flowers down at Green's
3: Market on 3rd there. and okay. Take them up to the house. But one Sunday, he'd take Miss Jenny to church.
4: Next Sunday, it would be Miss Esther. So I guess he was really just uh, playing both ends against the middle. <laughs> well, it must have been that because because of what happened. Hmm? One day, he up disappeared. And he shut up the house.
3: That's men for you. What was his name, Jim? What is it now? um Fox in a foxhole, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's really a curse to have a... What, what did you call it? A, a curious bone? Hmm? Mm. Uh, you find yourself making up stories about people colouring reality, which is often quite dull, with a rainbow of imagination. For instance, 50 years ago, when they was still young enough to hope but old enough to be afraid, Schofield's sisters welcomed into their home a young man. He was a bachelor, he was presentable, and they both fell in love with him. And he fell in love, too, with one of the sisters. There was Esther, who was practical, and Jenny, who was lovely. But men don't always fall in love with women who are lovely. A young man disappears one day. Two women grow old in a house in which the sun never shines. Servants are sent away. Neighbors made unwelcome. Perhaps the young man didn't go away at all. Yes, if I was to give my imagination free rein, I would say that the young man never left the Schofield house. Oh, I
4: suppose they've got him locked up in that room. Oh,
3: no, the other upstairs room windows are
4: broken. But you couldn't keep someone living in a room for 50 years. No. Not living. Really, Dr. McGregor?
3: Well, oh, let's say an honourable young man, he decides to speak to the lady of his choice. But first, being an honourable young man, he informed the other sister of his intentions. Perhaps she loved him very much. Perhaps she felt she was the logical choice. Well, there's no feeling, Mrs. Graydon. And so she asked him to go up to her father's room, say, to look over some papers, and there, when his back was turned... <laughs> yes, good thing imagination doesn't influence reality. But, but how could she do it? She was, she was only a woman after all, a man gave is it great and it's just a story. Of course, it the problem. How could she do it? And how could she do it without anyone knowing? Well, the servants were sent away, remember? Without any notice. Perhaps the other sister found out and never said anything for fear of the scandal. Now, it was just an exercise in fancy. So, Miss Jenny, did it take a long time coming to the door? And then, there were the footprints in the dust. Mrs. Graydon, your curious bone appears to be quite as macabre as my own. (laughs) There's probably a very reasonable explanation. But she did say, I saw you coming up the walk. That window overlooks the front walk, doesn't it? Oh, goodness. I've got shears up my spine. Yes. I've one or two myself. Nothing serious, is it? I, I hate it when telegrams come. Mm. Well, I, I hope nothing's the matter. What? Oh, no, no, nothing's the matter. Well, his name was James Marshall Fox, and he never arrived back at the mine. You mean... You wrote and asked the Schofield Mine about all that? James Marshall Fox, employed March 1908, December 1911, mm-hmm. left employee of Schofield Mine without explanation. He was sent here to get some business matters settled with the Schofield sisters. She completed his mission and then failed to report back at the mine. The manager wrote to the Schofield sisters, but they never answered his letter. He had no family and no one bumped to make any further inquiries. But
4: uh, do you think it's, it's really true? Do
3: you think she killed him? Oh, Who oh, Miss Jenny? Why Miss Jenny? What she... well, could have been Esther, too. Jenny must have been sick years ago. She said Esther expected her to die first. Esther could have killed him more easily. Being stronger. But uh, Miss Esther was squeamish. Miss Jenny said so herself. Couldn't stand the sight of blood. Oh, I can't see how Miss Jenny could have shut off the West Wing without Miss Esther knowing why. After all, Miss Esther always managed the house. Oh, but we mustn't judge Miss Jenny like this. We can't be sure she was the one who did it. No way. And, and she did say she was the one who really loved. Yes, but uh, when a lady protests too much... <laughs> Hello? Uh, Yes, this is McGregor. Where? Oh, I see. Yes, it can happen like that. It's a blessing it was over so quickly, I suppose. Thank you, nurse. I'll be right down. That was the hospital. Miss Esther Schofield passed away five minutes ago. I saw you coming. Where's that woman? Uh, Mrs. Graydon isn't with me tonight, Miss Jenny. Good, you can come in. I don't mind you, young man. (laughs) Uh, Miss Jenny, did you know the the light is still on upstairs? I I noticed it as I came up the walk. What light? The one in your father's room in the west wing. All the lights in the west wing are off. I see. Uh, Miss Jenny, I'm afraid I have some bad news for you. Now, sit down where I can see you. Yes. Thank you, Miss Jenny. Now, tell me. How is Esther? Miss Jenny, I said I'm afraid I have some bad news for you. So, she's dead, is she? It was very sudden. She didn't suffer. She didn't suffer? Are you sure? It was an easy passing. You don't fool me. Everybody suffers when they die. Did she know she was dying? Just for a moment, I think. The nurse said she asked for you. For me? Esther asked for me? She seemed to think you were ill. The nurse said she kept asking, where's Jenny? And then she said you were ill. She seemed to think you were in bed with pleurisy. Oh, Esther's dead. Mm. Don't go for a minute, young man. You've got nice eyes. He has nice eyes, too. You loved him very much, didn't you, Miss Jenny? He loved me, too, no matter what Esther said. But Esther said he loved her. Is that it? You listen to me. He never took to Esther. I know the flowers were for me. But I was in bed when they came and she took the note off. That was when I had pleurisy. There's nothing wrong with me now. No woman can tell. Esther thought I was dumb. (laughs) If that made any difference... He never cared for her. I was the beauty. Uh, After Mr. Fox went away, you closed up the West Wing, didn't you? And sent the servants away? I've got the flowers here. In that drawer. They were roses. You can't tell now what they were. I hid them from her. But you couldn't hide everything from Esther, could you, Miss Jenny? She had to know why the West Wing was closed up. I know they were for me. I know they were. Miss Jenny. Oh, don't scare me like that, creeping up on me. Miss Jenny, haven't you heard a word I've been saying? Heard every word, every word. I can hear. I know what goes on. No. and no, you can't hear anything when you don't look at me. I should have realized. How long have you been reading lips, Miss Jenny? I can hear I tell you. There's nothing wrong with me. Of course. You've always been deaf. Even as a child. That was why you said people always shouted at you. You could tell they were shouting from the way the muscles in the throat strained. Just as you can tell when I'm speaking loudly. Oh, Mrs. Graydon. And that was your secret. That was what you didn't want anyone to find out. But he loved me in spite of that. He didn't care about me being deaf. He
5: told me so.
3: And that was all it was. Just that. That was why you shut up the house. because you didn't want anyone to ever know. Oh, Miss Jenny. You know, I'm not a fool. Insta closed up the house. Hmm? It wasn't me. She said we had to. There wasn't any more money. And she sent the servants away, too. Esther? I was sick when it happened, so I didn't have anything to say about it. And when I got better, he'd been gone. Miss Jenny? You've got nice eyes, young man. He had nice eyes, too. Why did he leave me? I. I don't think he wanted to, Miss Jenny. But he never said goodbye. He just went away. You'll come back and see me sometimes, won't you? I don't want the others. They always made fun of me and called me dummy. Yes, Miss Jenny. I'll come and visit with you as often as you like. Will you? I promise. What's your name, young man? Brian. Brian Duncan McGregor. This was James. James Marshall Fock. Miss Jenny, you were the
5: one he loved. Was I? Truly?
3: Truly. You were the one, Miss Jenny. I should have known all along it was, Miss Esther. But even tonight, when I saw the light still on in that upstairs room, I... I couldn't understand what it meant. The light was still on. I don't see what you mean. She opened the door immediately tonight, and yet the light was on in her upstairs room. That means it must have been on since we were there the other night. Now, if Miss Jenny had known about the light in that room, remember I told you I'd the switch in the hall only once, mm-hmm. she would have made sure it was turned off. That night after we left. Now, Miss Jenny really believes that the west wing is completely closed and that the lights have been turned off. But she took so long to open the door the other night. Don't you remember? She said she'd seen us coming up the walk. From a downstairs window as easy as from one upstairs. And she simply hadn't chosen to open the door. That was all. Of course, that should have told me immediately she was deaf. That she'd seen us coming, not hers knocking. And how I missed it. You saw yourself. Sometimes she would answer a question directly. Other times, when she was looking away, she wouldn't seem to hear at all. I put it down to age. But I don't see why her being deaf should make any difference. Well, don't you understand It explains how it was done. It explains how one sister could kill him without the other sister knowing it. First of all, Miss Jenny was sinking back with pleurisy. Secondly, she couldn't hear anything. I expect Miss Esther sent the servants away before she invited Mr. Fox up to her father's room. Footprints we saw in the hall were Miss Esther's. She must have visited the room regularly up to the time she went into the hospital. The dust is filling them in now. But... Miss Esther was always so squeezy. She couldn't stand the sight of blood. Oh, she couldn't kill anyone. She didn't. She simply locked him in. That explains the broken glass on the window. Locked the door? But but he would have screamed. Yes, he would have screamed. For days. Even for weeks. But who was there to hear? No one. Except, of course, Miss Esther. Do you... Do you think he's still up there? Yes, I had to. trying to find out. There must be a key to him somewhere in house. But I... I changed my mind. What good would it do now? The light in the room is out. I, I went up to the hall and turned it off before I left. Someday we'll know, for certain. Until then... Let's pretend it was all a story. Just the fancy of a curious bone.
1: Dr. McGregor and the Case of the Curious
5: Bone, a
2: play by Betty Lambert. Okay, folks, this next one is called uh, The American Theater of Radio, and um, it's a good one. Uh, I, like, well, I always say that, don't I? Heck, I mean, I'm sorry. Guys, I, I just love old radio. I, I just... I don't like much television of today unless it's the classic shows and uh, I like some of the dramas but uh, anyway uh, so uh, I listen to a lot of old radio and I love it so uh, but this one is called the American Theatre of Radio and it's called the Almost Perfect Crime and it really was almost perfect but not quite tell me what you think
6: Introducing another in the series of radio dramas adapted from stories appearing in the American Weekly, the magazine which is distributed with all Hearst Sunday newspapers from coast to coast. May we call your attention to the announcement which will be made at the conclusion of the dramatic presentation. It carries a message of vital importance, something which may affect your entire future. Twelve minutes of waiting now may mean a lifetime of comfort. Wait for the announcement at the end of this program. The American Theater of Radio presents the almost perfect crime. It was staged in the studios of the General Broadcasting Company at New York. For weeks, the police, being dissatisfied with the verdict of the coroner's jury, who exonerated Edward Shea of the murder of Grace Foster, his beautiful co-ed sweetheart, have been collecting circumstantial evidence with which to bring him before the grand jury. As our scene opens, the suspects, unaware of the net closing round him, is in his room on the campus, comfortably reclining before his radio set, enjoying the contents of a smart novel.
7: Coming in here like this. Oh, I have a
8: few words with you, young fellow. I see. So you just walk in as if you owned the place. Well, you can turn around and go out as if you didn't.
7: I see. Well, uh, let's take a look at this. Police. You weren't expecting us, were you? Just what do you mean? Suppose you thought we just kind of forgot the little affair of Grace Foster, huh?
8: All that was all settled at the coroner's inquest. Nothing further to be our number.
7: Unfortunate and all that, but... But just a couple of little details overlooked, uh, that's all.
8: Oh, I guess you men have got your wires crossed someplace.
7: Oh, no. No, not us. If there's any wire crossing done, you're the one that's been doing it. The crack you made a while back about everything being settled that the coroner's inquest is all haywire. What do you mean? Just this. There's one or two little details that some of us boys on the force ain't exactly satisfied with and... We've been doing a little checking up, that's all. Oh, yes? On what authority? As there is. Suspicion and circumstantial evidence. I see. And add to that the fact that Ed Stevens here is half-cousin to Miss Foster, and maybe you can understand why the boys down at headquarters are taking a little interest in the case.
8: And on the strength of that, you come breaking into my home, eh?
7: Well, now, you can call it that if you want to. We'll try to get a rise out of you by knocking on the door, but... With that radio going full blast, there wasn't a chance of getting you to hear it, so So we just came in. I see. Well, as I told you before, you can get to... Now, listen here, young fellow. Don't be getting tough about it. Well, we got enough evidence on you to swing you. (laughs) So the best thing for you to do is to take it easy and just answer a few questions that we're going to put to you.
8: And suppose I refuse to answer.
7: Well, now, I kind of got a sneaking hunch that you'll answer, all right. Strong arm stuff, eh? Well, no, I don't believe we'll have to get out to that, son. That is, so long as you come clean. Oh, uh, you okay if we sit down?
8: Oh, no, I suppose so. There's enough chairs.
7: Thanks. Oh, uh, sit down, boys. Right. Now, now, first off, we'd like to know a little bit about what took place the night you and Grace Foster drove out to Willow Springs, uh, the night of the murder.
8: Well, that was all explained at the coroner's
7: inquest. Now, we ain't asking about what was explained somewhere else. We're asking a new set of questions.
8: Well, if you must know, I called for her at a home about half past six. Mm-hmm. We drove out to the springs, mm-hmm. parked the car just below the boathouse, and sat there
7: talking. Oh, doing a little talking, huh? Well, now, uh, what were you talking about, son? Beautiful evening, isn't
9: it, Eddie?
7: Yes, well... Eddie
9: you think your parents are going to object to our marriage?
8: Oh, I don't see why they should, dear. If they do, what of it?
9: I know we could, could go ahead and find their objections, but it would make things so much happier all round if they approve. But they
8: will approve. Why shouldn't they? You're just about the swellest thing there is, aren't you?
9: Do you think so, Ed?
8: You <laughs> like to be told about it, don't you, honey?
9: Of course I do, silly.
8: Sweet.
9: We're going to be awfully happy,
2: aren't we, Ed?
8: Sure we are. Well, I've got some great plans for what we're going to do as soon as school's out. Say, listen. We've done a lot of talking about what my folks are going to say about our getting married. But how about yours?
9: They're going to be almost as happy as we are about it. You know, I think Mother has a sort of an idea about it, too.
8: Well, that's going to make everything just grand all around. Let's get back to town and see my folks. Tonight? Sure, tonight. No time like the present. Might as well know just where we stand. All right, sweetheart. Let's go.
7: And what, son? We drove away from Willow Springs, got out onto
8: the highway, and started toward town.
7: Well, was uh, Grace Foster happy?
8: Happy? Sure she was happy. Why shouldn't she be? A swell girl like that, just about to be married to somebody like me?
7: And were you happy, son?
8: Oh, I say, that's about the nuttiest question you've asked. Of course I was happy. No reason why I shouldn't have been. Oh,
7: I just wanted to know, that's all. Now, will you just run back over the events leading up to and including the shooting?
8: I don't care to go over that again.
7: I said, will you go back over the events leading up to and including the shooting?
8: Well, we were driving along State Highway 33 coming towards town. I see. We were about 500 yards from the railroad underpass.
5: To
9: mm,
8: The same. Too much wind, Precious? Shall I close the window?
9: No,
10: I love it. Uh oh. What's this? It looks like a
5: lady in distress.
8: Car broke down, and maybe tire trouble. See what she wants. Anything we can do for you, lady? Hey, what's this? Shut up. Say, hey, what, what is this? A oh, hold up? up.
11: Hey.
8: <gasps> oh. oh my god, what have you done? Grace! Grace! Are you hurt? You've shot her! You shut up the squawking and hand over your dough. Oh, for... You didn't have to shoot the girl to get that. Hand over the dough. Hey, what is... <laughs> oh. it's all back in the car. Hey, you can't get away with this. Let Grace. the fuck have it. Oh. I oh. see, <laughs> uh, yeah,
5: and uh...
8: Then what happened? After the holdup had shot me in the shoulder, they threw me back into my car and ran over to what looked like a small delivery truck
7: and drove away. Mm-hmm. Where was the woman who flagged you down in the first place? I don't know.
8: I guess she went back to the car.
7: All right. And what happened after they drove away?
8: Well, bleeding profusely from the wound in my shoulder, I managed to get my car going and started on to town. I put my arm around Grace. she sagged way down in the seat. Mm-hmm. I tried to drive fast. I didn't know she was dead until we reached the hospital. That's all. You know the rest as well as I do.
7: Yes. Yes, I guess we do. What do you mean? Just this. The truck driver, John Wiggins. Well? Well, what about him? Never heard of him in my life before. You didn't, eh? Well, now, he's the fellow that you bribed to say that he'd been held up and robbed of his truck by a gang such as you described as having held you up and murdered Miss Grace. I know nothing about it. I refuse to be accused of that. Oh, well, all right, then. We'll let that lay for now. Did you ever stop to figure that the folks in the farmhouse that said they'd heard the shot just about the time you said couldn't have heard them all the way down at the bypass? Oh, that doesn't mean a thing. Sound carries a long way at night. Maybe so. Yes, but not that far. Then another thing is, from where the bullet went into the cushion of the car, the fellow that fired it, if he was outside the car, would have to have been left-handed and twisted his wrist into a kind of unnatural position.
8: Oh, say, let's cut out all the amateur
7: detecting. All that you've said doesn't mean a thing. No, no, maybe not, and maybe so. Perhaps uh, this does. What's that? It's the pearl handle revolver we found in the weeds alongside the highway about a mile from the bypass. Well? This gun belongs to a student over to State University. Which one? Well, you ought to know, son. But anyhow, the bullet taken out of this poster's heart fits the discharge shell in this revolver.
8: Say, listen, you can't frame me with a lot of circumstantial evidence. No. No, I won't stand for it. That gun and all the rest of it doesn't mean a thing.
7: Well... Well, we'll see about that. Now, it was kindly generally understood that your relationship with Miss Foster always been what the court calls a conventional, weren't it? Uh,
3: well,
12: I... Well,
7: I mean, there hadn't been anything... That... I refuse to allow you to talk like that. My relationship with her was that of
8: any gentleman, with the lady he has chosen to marry.
7: Now, 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 take it easy, young fella, take it easy. Well, I've
8: stood all I care about of this. Now, get out of here and leave me alone. Go on, get out.
7: Well, when we go, uh, you'll be going with us, so don't be in a hurry.
8: You can't arrest me. You have no warrant.
7: No evidence. Up to now, maybe it has been kind of circumstantial, but uh, see who that is, Jim. Say, what right have you to go to my door to receive my guest? Never mind, young fellow. Never mind. I'm in charge here. Who is it, Jim?
8: The guy
7: with a note. Bring it over here. Here it is. Mm. Uh Mm. Uh-huh. Take a look at this. What is it? A note from the coroner's office telling us that Miss Foster's body has been exhumed, uh, dug up, and the autopsy shows that she had been an expectant mother. Oh, my God. No, no, it, is, it isn't. It couldn't uh, be. I guess that's motive enough, ain't it? Take him away, Jim.
8: Oh, it can't be true. I, I didn't do it, honestly. I uh, can't. I didn't. You're
7: just like all the rest of them, young fellow. What do you mean? You overlook little details. I had no details to overlook. Oh, yes, you did, son. Yes, you did. Just one. If you would have showed up at Grace Foster's funeral instead of staying away, you would have had almost the perfect crime.
6: Will the grand jury convict Edward Shea? Is he guilty of the crime of which he is accused? The campus town in which he lives is divided as to their opinions. Edward Shea is well-liked by some and distrusted by others. Read the interesting details of this case in next Sunday's issue of the American Magazine the magazine which is distributed with all Hearst Sunday newspapers from coast to coast. Now, here we are in the home stretch of the American Weekly's great $1,000 a year for life competition. Not often do you get a chance to win a life income for jotting down a moment's thought. We hope you haven't neglected this wonderful opportunity. The fourth and last coupon of the competition will be printed in next Sunday's American Weekly, issue of October 8th which is distributed every week with your Hearst Sunday newspaper. If you missed your chance by failure to get the first three coupons, we're sorry. But, uh, just a moment. Perhaps you can still recoup. Get next Sunday's Hearst newspaper and read the final announcement. It will tell you how you can get the first three coupons, and even at this late day, you can enter the contest and have your chance at the Fortune for Life Awards. You will have 15 days after next Sunday in which to get your coupons. Fill them in with your suggestions for a slogan and mail them to the editor of the American Weekly. But you will have to get busy. Make it snappy or you won't get in under the wire before the expiration day and hour. This is the fourth and last call. And here's success to you. It has been a great competition and great fun for all.
2: heard the Lux Radio Theater, but I, uh, I I'm not going to say it again I, yeah, I'm going to say it again it's it's always been one of my favorites and the thing that's so intriguing about it is because it was uh, uh, it, it was sponsored by Lux the uh, people that made soaps and that sort of thing um, so that's why it was called Lux Radio Theater. Oh, y'all didn't know I was smart enough to figure that out, did you? Uh, but anyway, uh, this next one is, uh, a good one. It's, uh, it's a musical. I think, uh, Victor's Annabelle probably like it. In fact, I thought of her when I dug it out. I started listening to it the other day. Uh, but it's called Irene.
6: Hollywood, California, Monday, June 29th.
13: The Lux Radio Theater presents Jeanette McDonald in Irene, a play with music. Lux presents Hollywood. Tonight, we bring you Jeanette MacDonald, Regis Toomey, Cecil B. DeMille, D. W. Griffith, Cora Lobb, and many others. These behind the footlights. In front, seated in our audience, a host of Hollywood's most noted notables. The Lux Radio Theater welcomes you all. This entertainment is presented by the makers of Lux Flakes. These marvelously sheer flakes are used in Mr. DeMille's own studio, Paramount, and in other great Hollywood studios because they keep fabrics and colors new looking longer. And now, our director. It has been truly said this man has put the star in starting more famous screen performers than any other film executive. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Cecil B. DeMille. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Men make their greatest mistakes in picking women and horses. I once predicted that there would never be a horseless carriage after my roommate at college injured his hand trying to invent one. Manufacturers have made 63 million motor cars since then, and horses are found mostly on merry-go-rounds. I also misjudged Jeanette McDonald early in her career. You would never suspect now that she was once just a Philadelphian with a purpose. There is nothing more grim than a little girl with red pigtails, ambition, and determination. And Jeanette had all four of them. When I first heard her, she'd been singing in Broadway reviews. She sent me a telegram asking for the leading role in Madame Satan. I didn't know much about her, but was convinced she was not the one I wanted for the part. She sent me more and more telegrams. Telling me the best thing I could do was to put her on the screen. I still refused. But others were smarter than I. And she has risen steadily, justifying their faith and my stupidity. Every man is entitled to three mistakes in his life. And that was one of mine. But I didn't lose her, for along comes Lux, and boy gets girl. Tonight, in the Lux Radio Theater, Jeanette plays a role she had understudied on the Broadway stage, but never had a chance to play until now. So there is a special thrill in announcing Irene, starring Jeanette McDonald. And now... For the first act of Irene, starring Jeanette MacDonald as Irene O'Dare, red-haired, blue-eyed, and Irish, who earns her livelihood behind the upholstery counter of a large New York department store. We're in the store now. On the main floor, cash goes singing by overhead, and bargain hunters are pushing through the doors, surging toward the crowded elevators. On the second floor, Mr. Is the
14: force
15: furniture on this floor? No, sir. On the sixth floor, West Wing. Sixth floor. Going up, please. This way, please. No crowding. Going up. Stand back to the door, please. Mr. Sweeney,
13: are you ready to see Miss O'Dare? Miss O'Dare? Oh, that girl from the upholstery department, the one we had the complaint about? Yes, sir. Well, well, where is she?
14: In the outer office, sir. Send her in? Yes, sir. Will
15: you come in, please? Thank you.
16: Good morning, Mr. Sweeney.
13: Mm. Your name's O'Dare.
16: Yes, sir. Irene O'Dare. Sit down. Thank you. Miss O'Dare.
13: I wonder if you realize just why I wanted
17: to see you this morning.
16: No, sir, but I hope it's about a raise. What? I mean, no, sir. I don't know what you wanted to see me about. Then
17: I'll tell you. Miss O'Dare, one of our customers this morning turned over a pillow at your counter. And what do you suppose she found under it? Another pillow? She did not. She found this. Oh. A magazine, Stars of the Stage and Screen. Opened at an article entitled, What Are They Wearing? Well,
16: well, what was it doing there? Why, I put it there, sir.
17: I know that, but why?
16: Well, I was reading it.
17: And are you in the habit of reading magazines like this, Miss O'Dare?
16: Oh, yes, sir. No, you are. Yes, yes, I like to look at the pictures. All those beautiful girls with such beautiful clothes. Miss
13: O'Dare, do you realize that it's magazines like this that turn young girls' heads, makes them irresponsible
16: or flighty? Do you really think that's true, Mr. Sweeney? Of course it is. Well, then why do we sell those magazines in the store? Why,
17: uh, well, that's beside the point.
16: Oh, I don't think so, sir. You see, Mr. Sweeney, there's lots of girls like me. We don't have any pretty clothes or anything. We don't even hope to have. But there's no reason why we can't look at girls who are a little luckier than we are. It's the only real fun we get out of life, Mr. Sweeney. Wishing for things.
18: Well,
17: wishing for things doesn't make them come true.
16: I know that, sir. Gee, there's times I wish so hard for things that it hurt, but it didn't get them. Like that raise, for instance.
17: We'll forget about the raise, Miss O'Dare. Yes, sir. And if I were you, I'd concentrate a little harder on holding my job. If I get any more complaints about you, I, uh, I'll have to let you go. You understand?
16: Yes, sir. But you won't get any more complaints, Mr. Sweeney. I, I need the job too much.
17: Hmm.
16: Well, you may go now. Thank you, sir.
11: Irene, come here a minute.
16: Oh, hello, Jane. What are you doing at the linen counter? Transferred this morning. Say, did you see the notice on the bulletin board downstairs? There's going to be another show this year. Sales goes with you? Uh-huh. You going to try it again? I'd like to see anyone keep me away. Oh, gee, you were swell last year, Irene. Honest, if I had a voice like yours, I'd tuck this door job and, and get on the radio or something. Yes, and while I was looking around for a chance my mother could take in washing, I suppose. Look <laughs> that. She said there's old Lady Hector. Look at that. long, Jane. See you at lunch. Bye.
19: Did you call me, Miss Hector? You know very well I did.
16: Did you sell some veranda cushions to Mrs. Henry Marshall? Well, yes, I think so,
19: for her Long Island house. Well, she has a complaint. They're too small. Why don't you send them back? She can't. She has a big weekend party starting tomorrow. and She's giving a garden party this afternoon. She wants to explain what's wrong to somebody in the department. You'll have to go, Miss O'Dare. Me? Oh, boy, I'd love to. Remember this. Mrs. Marshall
10: is one of our best and wealthiest customers. Please act accordingly.
16: Oh, I will, Miss Hector. I'll be a real lady.
10: For oh, Clarkson. Yes.
19: Has the girl from the store come yet?
17: No, Mrs. Marshall.
19: Well, when she does, ask her to wait. I want to speak to her.
13: Uh, yes, Mrs. Marshall. Hello,
19: Mother. Oh, you are you so terribly late?
13: I'm sorry, Mother, I was delayed at the office.
19: The party's but... almost over. Eleanor's been asking for you every ten minutes.
13: Eleanor, is she here? Of
19: course, Donald. You'd better go and speak to
13: her. No, no, I'll keep out of the way if you don't mind. I have some work to do this afternoon. Donald,
19: what is the matter with you? Eleanor's a charming girl.
13: Yes, I know, but there are all kinds of charm, Mother, and hers just doesn't appeal to me.
19: Oh, Donald.
13: By the way, Mother, not to change the subject, but where do you buy your clothes? What? I said, where do you buy your clothes? Why? Well, I met Bob Harrison in town. You never met him, but we roomed together in college.
19: Yes?
13: It seems Bob went and sunk a lot of money in a place called Madame Lucy's, a dress shop. And I'm trying to drum up a little trade for him.
19: He's running a dress shop?
13: Well, <laughs> no, not running it. He just put up the money.
19: Well, I, I don't know, Donald. I wouldn't like to change my dressmaker and... Well, unless I was sure of what I was going to get.
13: All right, Mother, forget it. It was just an idea. Oh, there you are. Oh, uh, hello, Eleanor.
16: What do you mean by hiding out on us? We're all waiting for you. I'm
13: sorry, Eleanor, but I was busy.
16: Well, you aren't busy now. Come on and join the party. I'm
13: afraid I can't. I've still got a lot of work to do.
16: Oh,
19: work. That's all you ever think about. Mrs. Marshall, what are we going to do with him? I'm sure I don't know. Well, I do. Come on, Mr. Tired businessman. You're
20: going to finish this dance with me.
16: Yes, miss. My name is Miss O'Dare. I'm from Baron Brothers.
17: Oh, yes. You're here about the seat cushions. Mr. Come in, please. Thank you. If you'll wait for a moment, I'll see if I can find Mrs. Marshall.
16: Of course. Thank you.
18: Well,
19: hello. Hello.
17: What are you doing down here? You remember me, don't you?
16: Yes, I remember you.
17: Well, I remember you very well. You see what an impression you made on me that night in Philadelphia? How long
6: ago was that? Two years. Two years. And I recognized you right away. Where in the world did you go? And I looked for you the next day and you'd completely disappeared.
16: I had a good reason. What? Oh, never mind.
6: Uh, what was your name?
16: Same as it is now.
13: <laughs> what is it?
16: <laughs> Must have made a terrible hit with you. Well,
13: you did? I, I just can't think of your name right now.
16: Well, I don't remember yours either, so it's square.
13: Ah, you're just the
6: same little girl, though. So tell me, what are you doing here in this place?
16: I'm in the decorating business. I decorate everything but myself. I work in the store that made these cushions.
6: Oh, that's right. You, um, you worked
13: in a store in Philadelphia, too, didn't you? Yes. Well, now you know you really shouldn't. You're much too pretty to be working at anything.
16: Thanks. But I have to eat once in a while.
17: (laughs) So you don't even remember my name, eh?
16: No.
13: Well, I'll tell you. It's Larry, Larry Bradley.
16: Oh, is it?
6: Now what's yours? I haven't got any. <laughs> Come on, sit down
16: here. Hey, let go! What do you take me for?
6: I oh, don't be unreasonable. Sit down. No, no,
16: let me alone. Oh, don't be afraid. No, well, I'm not afraid. I just want you to let go of me. That's not all. Even a little kiss. Hey, did you hear what I said? Let go <laughs> of me now, all right? Stop! Come on, stop Larry, it now. now.
6: Oh.
13: hello, Donald. What's the matter here? Nothing much.
16: Oh, yes, there is. I came here from the store to see about the cushions, and this fellow tried to get fresh with me. Lucky for him, he didn't get something he wouldn't forget. <laughs>
18: As you, um, you see, Donald, she's a regular little
13: Spitfire. If I were you, Larry, I'd clear out. Oh, yes? All right. Good afternoon, Miss, uh, Spitfire.
14: A <laughs> Fresh guy.
13: I'm sorry this happened. He's one of my guests. Will you allow me to apologize for him?
16: A lot of good that does. I came here all prepared to act like a perfect lady, and the first thing I run into is him. Swell society, hmm. <laughs> I'll tell people what swell society's like, all right, all right.
13: Oh, but you mustn't judge all of us by one man. Come on, now. You're all unstrung. Sit down a while until you feel better.
16: Oh, I can't. I've got to get back to the store. Gee, that fellow was strong. I guess it's just as well you came out here when you did. I'm
13: glad I did.
16: <laughs> Maybe that's just his way of being friendly, huh? How well do you know him? You'd have thought I knew him pretty well, wouldn't you? I just met him once, two years ago, in Philadelphia.
13: Oh, I see. But won't you sit down here?
16: No, thanks. That's what he wanted me to do.
13: <laughs> All right. You said just where you want to. Yes, sir. Now, is there anything I can do for you?
16: No, thanks. I'll be leaving in a minute.
13: I suppose you've had your lunch.
16: Well, I had the usual.
13: And what's that?
16: Bar of chocolate and a glass of milk. I got it in station.
13: Well, that's not very much, is it?
16: Oh, I'm used to it now.
13: Well, I'm, I haven't had a thing since breakfast. I wonder if you'd join me in something.
16: Gee, thanks. But, well... Not best dressed very nice. Yes. Oh,
13: don't worry about that. Come on, we'll go inside and see if we can dig up a couple of sandwiches.
16: Feel better? Oh, yes. Gee, that was twelve.
13: Uh, tell me some more about yourself, Miss O'Dare. Do you live in the city?
16: Mm-hmm. With my mother and my brother. We live just off Ninth Avenue.
13: Oh, you have no father?
16: No, sir. Not for over a year.
13: Well, then you are the breadwinner of the family.
16: Yes, sir.
13: Oh, you ought to be very proud. There's a real pleasure in working, isn't there?
16: Oh, yes. I wouldn't miss a day. Uh, they take it out on Saturday night.
13: <laughs> well, maybe you won't always work in the store. You never can tell what will happen.
16: You mean to make it fired? Oh,
13: no, no. But, but maybe you'll get, you'll get married someday.
16: Married? Gee, I'd have to find someone who could take care of my mother and brother. I can't desert him now. What chance have I got to meet a man like that? Not a chance in the world. The men we meet can just about support themselves. <laughs> Am I talking too much? No, not at all. Mother says I got the gift of gab. I never know when to stop. Oh,
13: but I like to listen to you. It's interesting.
16: Well, you're interesting, too, even if you don't talk as much as I do. We girls don't meet many men like you. We don't get a chance. I know girls who are lots of fun. Pretty. Beautiful. But they never meet the right kind of men at all because they haven't got any decent clothes to wear. Clothes make an awful difference in a girl. And just because we haven't got them, don't think we don't know about them. We can't help seeing what the other girls have in the shop windows and evening papers. Gee, I talk careless. <laughs> we all talk that way, but you wouldn't know us when we put on airs. Honest, we can talk and act like real ladies. You can? Yeah, it's not as difficult as it sounds. We take off the swell customers who come to the store. Listen to this. Oh, Mrs. Thomas, how do you do? My dear, I so enjoyed your lovely garden party. It was divine, and you looked stunning. Well, au revoir. You can't tell the difference now, can you? Except for the clothes, of course.
13: Yes, I imagine clothes do make a lot of difference.
16: A lot? Oh, it's terrible how much difference they make. I had a dress once a blue and it cost eighty five dollars. Yes? Oh, I didn't buy it. One of our customers gave it to me. But you should have seen me in it. Gee, I was real Park Avenue in that dress.
13: And where is it now?
16: It's gone. Just faded away, and oh, the care I took of it. Mother'll tell you it's the only thing I ever put on a hanger. But I'm never gonna forget it. Oh.
13: I wonder how you'd look in a dress that costs two or three hundred dollars.
16: Two or three hundred? Well. Is there anything higher than Park Avenue?
13: I don't think so. But, Miss O'Dare, I've got an idea. You like beautiful clothes, don't you?
14: Sure, who doesn't?
13: Well, how would you like a chance to own some? Wear them in society.
14: Say, what is it?
13: The chance you've been looking for, a chance to better yourself.
16: I don't get your game at all. You seem like a regular fella. Gee, I hope you're not going long like this and then all of a sudden spring something.
13: Don't worry about me. It's what you've told me, Miss O'Dare. That's what I'm interested in. A friend of mine told me something which gives me a chance to help both of you. Why, the opportunity you've prayed for is right here. (laughs) Is it? Yes, this friend of mine told me of a dressmaker in New York, Madame Lucy, who makes the smartest clothes in town, but she hasn't been discovered yet. The women don't know she's here. Well, I'll bet she'd be as anxious to have you for a customer as you would be to go to her. Now, what do you think of that?
16: Well, I don't know. (laughs) What would I have to do? I'll do it, but what?
13: Just be a lady, that's all. Like you pretend at the store. I'll pass you off as a young heiress or or something.
16: And that'll make the women buy dresses from this Madame Lucy, huh? Of
13: course. They'll flock to her.
16: Yeah, but this young heiress business, they'll catch on. Everybody knows all the young heiresses.
13: Oh, that's right. But wait. You haven't any special talent, have you? I mean, you don't dance or play the trombone. Well,
16: I, I can sing a little. Sing,
13: that's it. You'll be Irene O'Dare, the famous Irish songbird. Just come over for an American tour.
16: Oh, but... Come on, come on. I want to hear you. You want to hear me sing? I'll
13: play for you. What do you know?
16: Oh, wait a minute now. I'm so excited I can't sing. Well,
13: you talked a lot about your $85 blue dress.
16: Oh, yes.
13: You must have loved that.
16: Loved it? Oh, gee. You could never know how much.
11: I once had a girl and it was almost new. For oh, the daintiest thing, it was really real a blue. With a little forget-me-not played here and there. When I had it on, I walked on the earth. And it was, and it was, and it was. My sweet little early Spluga
16: the cutest little raw buttons down the back, and an overskirt with pockets in it, and a sash to cuddle you, and, and trimming applique, you know what I mean, on the seat and a petticoat with silver lace and everything. <laughs> oh, gee, it was nifty. And
11: then in manner of fashion I'd my I, throw, I hold, and the world seems to smile. brother
13: That was lovely. Miss O'Dare, you're marvelous.
16: Oh, do you think so?
13: I'll tell you what you do. Tomorrow, you give up your job at Baron Brothers. I'll take you to Madame Lucy's the day after. Oh, dear. In two days, she'll transform you. Hmm? Oh, wait till you see. Frocks and gowns, hats and slippers, everything. She'll make you a little princess, a Cinderella.
16: Oh, oh, I've always wanted to be a Cinderella. Oh, but wait, what about my mother? What about the
13: rent? Oh, we'll take care of that. We'll take care of everything. All you have to do is to remember that you're a famous singer from Ireland.
16: Oh, I'll remember all right, all right. Irene O'Dare, the Irish songbird. From Baron Brothers' Upholstery Department. <laughs>
13: Jeanette MacDonald playing the title role and singing the lovely music of Irene comes to you from the Lux Radio Theater on Hollywood Boulevard. The role of Donald Marshall is being played by Regis Toomey. Our play continues in just a moment. Now, our quick tour of Hollywood takes us to the Hollywood Studio Club, where extra girls who want to make good in the movies can live pleasantly but inexpensively. Let's take a look in Jane and Polly's room. It's seven o'clock. The girls are still asleep when the alarm clock rings.
15: Oh gee, I'm sleepy. Wake up, dearie, and hear the birdies sing. Say, you're supposed to report
16: at eight A.M. at Central Casting. You better hurry. Don't worry, I'll be there.
15: Maybe I'll get a bit in that Lou Ayers picture. Lady, be careful.
16: Oh, my gosh. Jane, I've got to run in my last pair of stockings. Oh, Polly, the run girl. Oh, Jane, Jane it's no joke. Oh, help me out. Be a pal. Oh, Polly, I'm sick of lending you
15: stockings. I'll do it this once. And then no more, so help me. Oh, I can't help getting run. Yes, you can. And I've told you how. Use Lux Flakes. Lux, Lux, Lux. That's all you ever talk about. Well, if you think of it once, you'd stop paying all your shekels out for stockings. Lux saves the elasticity, darling. Honest, it keeps you from getting so many ridiculous, sloppy
10: runs.
13: Jane is right. Lux Flakes do cut down on stocking runs. And that's swell news for any girl, no matter whether she lives in Hollywood or Omaha, Philadelphia, or anywhere. Just dip your stockings in a bowl of Lux Suds each night. This protects their elasticity, their give, so they don't keep breaking under strain. Lux flakes often double stocking wear. Why don't you try Lux tonight? And now we turn you over to Cecil B. DeMille. We continue the Lux Radio Theater play starring Jeanette MacDonald as Irene O'Dare. A few days have passed since Irene agreed to model gowns for Madame Lucy. In the O'Dea's tiny three-room flat, near Ninth Avenue, Irene's mother calls to her from the kitchen.
15: Irene, where are you? Here, Mother. What is it? Will you look what just came for you? A box of candy, five pounds if it's an ounce, and a whole great big bunch of flowers. Oh, was there a card? There was not. What do you make of it? Why, I, uh, I guess the manager of the store sent the mother. And why would Mr. Sweeney be sending candy and flowers all of a sudden? Well, he, um... He offered a prize
16: to the smartest girl in our department, and that was the prize. Oh, he did? Yes. Oh, but I want to leave the store, Mother. What for? For being the smartest girl in your department? No, but it just proves to me there isn't any chance for a girl at the store. Oh,
15: sure. I've heard that a thousand times. Well, you want me to have a chance, don't you, Mother? A chance for what? To improve myself. I don't know what you're talking about at all. Well, you see, I uh, can
16: go to work for a dressmaker or a milliner or something like that.
15: No siree, young lady. That's what the girl on the floor below did. She was a model for clothes and hats. It was her ruin. She got used to fine feathers and wanted to be a fine bird. Well, from all I hear, that's what she turned out to be, a bird. All right, Mother, you know best. Of course I know best. And let it be the end of it, my dear.
21: Now, now, now let's get this straight, Donald. You want to take this little shop girl and let Madam Lucy dress her up and use her as sort of a public model, is that it?
13: That's it. Only you see, Bob, no one will know she's a shop girl. As far as they're concerned, she's a famous singer.
21: Well, (laughs) it sounds all right to me.
13: All right, it's marvelous. I tell you, Bob, she'll be a sensation. Is she pretty? Gorgeous. Good figure? Beautiful.
21: (laughs) You seem quite taken with (laughs) her. Hey, are you sure you're doing all this for me or Miss O'Dare?
13: <laughs> well, it's a little of both, I guess. Oh, she's a grand girl. Now, here's the plan, Bob. Mother's giving a supper and dance at our place tonight. I'm going to have Miss O'Dare there, beautifully dressed, of course. And I want you to bring Madame Lucy. M-
21: Madam Lucy? What for?
13: To show off the gown, stupid, and take some orders from the other women.
21: Yeah, but wait. Madame Lucy can't come. He's not in town. And then
13: we've got to... Did you say he? Yes. I thought it was Madame Lucy.
21: Yeah, that's right. But Madame Lucy is a man. <laughs> the Madame stuff is just a trade name.
13: Madame Lucy is a man. <laughs> oh well, live and learn. But just the same, he ought to be there.
21: Uh, I don't see how. He's in Paris buying material. But
13: somebody ought to come. What about? I'll tell you, you'll be Madame Lucy. (laughs) Me? Sure, that crowd doesn't know you. Now, now,
21: now, just a second.
13: You own a cutaway coat, don't you? And you can put on a little French accent. Why, it's a
21: cinch. Uh, I suppose I could do it, all right, but I don't like it. Like
13: it or not, you've got to do it.
21: All right, all right, but if anything goes wrong, mister, I'll break your neck.
13: We'll talk about that later. Right now, I want you to get hold of a couple of gowns and practice up on your accent. We're picking Miss O'Dare up at seven tonight. Well, Irene, this is your big night. How do you feel?
16: Scared.
21: Awfully scared. Uh, you're no worse off than I am. Listen, Donald, how does this sound? Um, madame, the gown, it is exquisite. Notice the line of the heaps. Is... Oh, shut up,
13: will you? It sounds all right.
21: Yeah? Yeah, well, what do you think, Miss O'Dare? I don't know, I'm sure. Hey, do you think I'll get away with it? Do you think I
16: will?
13: Of course you will. You look beautiful, Irene.
16: Really? Oh, it's a beautiful dress. But, gee, if my mother ever saw me now, she'd probably lick the tar out of me.
13: Are you going to tell her?
16: Oh, sure, sometime. But there's no use telling her now. I mean, after all, if I don't make good as the Irish songbird, it'll all be over soon anyway. Oh, don't
13: worry. You'll make good.
16: Well, we'll know more about that a little later.
6: She
15: does dress beautifully, I'll tell you that. Yes, look at that girl. Why, she's gorgeous. Constantly
5: gorgeous. I wonder
13: who makes her doll. man, they call Madame Adam They think Irene, You're magnificent. You've got everyone talking about you.
16: Oh, gee. I, I guess I
21: did get away with it then, didn't I? Uh, you are swell. I have 15 orders from Madam Lucy right now and more on the wing.
13: Have you? Then suppose you get out there and make sure of them.
21: <laughs> oh, all right. I guess I can take a hint. See you later, folks.
13: Well, having a good time?
16: Oh, grand. And it's all due to you. I don't know how to thank you, Mr. Marshall.
13: My friends call me Donald.
16: All right, Donald. And I don't
13: want any thanks. I'm having just as good a time as you are.
16: Oh, but you can't be. You... Well, you're used to all this.
13: I'm not used to girls like you.
16: Well, what do you mean?
13: I mean that you're just yourself. No airs. Sort of fresh and unspoiled. I'm having the time of my life just being with you, talking to you, looking at you.
16: Hey, that's funny, isn't it?
13: What's funny about it? Oh,
16: I don't know. It's just too uh, funny, that's all.
11: Hello.
13: Oh, Eleanor. Come in.
11: Not including, am
13: I? Uh, of course not. Have you met Miss O'Dare?
16: Yes, I've had the pleasure. Thank you. Why aren't you dancing, Donald?
13: Why, uh, well, I've been pretty busy, Eleanor.
16: Yes, yeah, so I've noticed. I'm sure Miss O'Dare will excuse you just for a moment. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, by the way, just what O'Dare is that? I beg your pardon? Well, I, I've met several O'Dares. What, uh, branch of the family do you, uh... Oh, uh, why, uh, we're the O'Dares. Oh, the O'Dares. <laughs> very interesting. It must be an old family. Oh, you bet. I mean, yes, very, very old. Hmm, well, uh, come along, Donald. I'm dying to dance. Mr. Dare? Oh, yes?
17: May I introduce myself? My name is Bowden, L.J. Bowden. You've uh, probably heard of me.
16: Oh, yes, of course, Mr. Bowden. You're uh, a big financier, aren't you?
17: (laughs) Yes, so they tell me. Mr. Dare, I'm getting up a weekend party for the first of the month, and uh, may I count you
16: in? You mean it?
17: Why, certainly.
16: Oh, thank you. I'd be delighted.
19: Oh, Miss O'Dare, Donald tells me you're going to sing for it. Oh, really? I I didn't know. It's getting
13: a bit late, Mother. I think it's time I took Miss O'Dare home. Oh,
19: just one song, Miss O'Dare, please. Oh, we're all so anxious to hear you. Very well, Mrs. Marshall. Oh, splendid. Now, you announce it, Donald. All right,
13: Mother. Ladies and gentlemen... Miss O'Dare has graciously consented to sing for us.
11: Well, she loves writing her little song. More flowers, a morning. Bonnie-
16: night it was, Donald.
13: Have a good time?
16: Oh, marvelous. It's just like I always dreamed it would be. I guess that's what frightens me. Why? Oh, I'm afraid that's what it is, just a beautiful dream. And I'm afraid I'll wake up soon. And the gowns and the flowers, music, they'll all be gone, and I'll just be plain Irene O'Dare again, selling pillows behind the upholstery counter.
13: I wouldn't worry about that.
16: Why should you? You'll never have to work there.
13: (laughs) Well, I mean, I've got a feeling that you'll never work there again either.
16: Why do you say that?
13: I don't know. Just a hunch.
16: Do your hunches usually come true?
13: Invariably.
16: Invariably. Hmm. Well, if that word means what I think it means, I guess I've got nothing to worry about.
15: (laughs) Irene, sit down. I want to have a little talk with you. Yes, Mother? I suppose you're going out again tonight? Why, yes, I am. I thought you would be. Well, now listen here, young lady. I want an explanation of this. For the last two weeks, every night in the week, you've been gallon athens off the doorway dressed up like bank Holiday. Where are you getting the dresses? Who's paying for them? I told you, Mother, I'm, I'm a sort of a model. A sort of a model? What kind of language is that? Either you are a model or you ain't a model. Now, which is it? I am a model. And is it night work you're doing that you have to go out all the time? I don't like it, Irene. It's too mysterious for me. Everything was all right when you worked at the store. You mean everything was all wrong. We had to have more money, didn't
16: we? Someone had to pay the bills. Aren't you glad my work is easier, Mother? I am, but I'd like to know what it is. Everything I'm doing, I'm doing for you and Johnny. And you can trust me, Mother. You know you can trust me.
15: I hope so, Irene. For your own sake, I hope so.
13: Say, Bob, have you seen Irene? Well, not lately. Uh, Last time I saw her, she was dancing with Bowden. Bowden? Why didn't you cut in?
21: Who, me? (laughs) You forget yourself, my man. I'm uh, Madame Lucy around here. I can't dance. Hey, what's the matter with Bowden anyway?
13: Oh, nothing much.
21: Afraid she'll fall for his money?
13: No, of course not. She's not that type.
21: Well, what's the matter? Or uh, are you just a little bit jealous?
13: Jealous? <laughs> You're crazy.
16: <laughs> yeah? Don't you think we'd better be getting back, Mr. Bowden?
17: Not yet, please.
16: Oh, but they'll be missing us in there.
17: Well, what difference does it make? Stay here a while. I still haven't said what I wanted to say. Oh. Can you guess what it is? No. Irene, I'm not exactly a young man. and There's one happiness I've always thought was not for me. The happiness of loving some woman so completely that I'm only living when I'm with her or thinking of her. I thought that I had everything I wanted. But I find I haven't anything. Unless I can give it all to you. I love you, Irene.
16: You... Love me?
17: More than I could ever tell you.
16: I don't know what to say. I suppose every girl's planned what she'd say when a man tells her he loves her, but... I wasn't prepared for this.
17: Will you marry me, Irene? I'm afraid I... Please don't answer me now. I want you to think it over, carefully. In the meantime, would you wear these, Irene? I'd like you to have
16: them. Pearl! Oh, I couldn't. Oh, why not? Oh, because I think I know what my answer will be.
17: But you weren't going to answer now. Even if it were, no... I'd still like you to take these as a remembrance.
16: Oh, they're beautiful. But I can't accept them.
17: Will you at least put them on? Just for tonight.
16: Oh, may I do just that? I want you to. Thank you. I've never worn pearls before. Never? I mean, not as beautiful as these.
17: Irene, tell me one thing. Is there someone else? Please. Is there?
16: Yes, there is.
17: Are you going to marry him?
16: There are some things that are just too impossible even to dream about.
17: I don't understand you.
16: I'm sorry. Shall we go in now?
18: Well, good evening, Eleanor.
11: Oh, hello, Larry. I didn't think you were coming.
18: And with all these beautiful girls around, why wouldn't I come? Oh, Maybe you
17: can help me, Eleanor. There's a girl here I'm sure I've seen somewhere. Let's see if I can find her. Oh, is this yes? In the white dress.
11: Mm, yes. And uh, the new string of pearls. Uh, what do you mean? Brand new. Just got them out on the balcony. Ah.
6: Romance in the air.
11: Oh, mm, she's very popular with the men.
20: Especially Donald.
6: Mm, and that, uh, that ought to make you happy.
16: Oh,
20: really?
17: It's funny I can't play, so tell me. What's her name?
20: Odair,
6: Irene Odair Irene Odair, Irene Oh, so that's who she is I thought I recognized her Do you know her? Know her? I guess I do
13: Come on, young lady, I want to speak to you
16: can't we stay inside, Donald? Honest, I haven't been in there all night.
13: That's just what I wanted to speak to you about. Where have you been?
16: Oh, I don't know. Out here, walking in the garden. Every place but dancing. And that's what I want to do. Come on. Now,
13: wait a minute. What's the matter, Irene? You're acting so
16: strange. Oh, it's nothing. I... I'm just excited tonight, I guess. So many people making me talk. And when I get excited, I speak terribly like I used to, remember? Yes. And the funny part of it is they always ask me to talk some more like that. They like it. But... There's one thing certain. They wouldn't like it if I wore the clothes that went with it. I wonder what they'd say if they found out who I really am.
5: They'll
13: never find out now. You've made good, Irene.
16: Yes, so far. The problem is now how to go on making good. Getting harder and harder all the time.
13: What do you mean?
16: I don't know what I mean. You wouldn't understand. You see, you don't know me very well. I'm not the same with you as I am with other men. I can't pretend with you. You... You know what I was.
13: And I know what you are now.
16: Yes. I've been trying to figure out what you must be thinking of me. Masquerading. Oh,
13: (laughs) so that's what it is.
16: Mm Mm-hmm. Underneath all these clothes, I'm still just Irene O'Dare from Ninth Avenue. But whenever I've thought of you, I've always wished I wasn't masquerading. I've always wished it was real.
13: You're real, Irene.
16: Oh, no, I'm not. Oh,
13: you are to me. I'm in love with you, Irene. Donald. Didn't you know it?
16: You must be crazy.
13: I don't think so. I was always a normal baby.
16: Donald, be serious.
13: I am. More serious than I've ever been before. I love you, Irene.
16: Oh.
22: I love you.
16: You love me? Oh, gee, this is a dream. Can't be true. Oh, it's got to be a dream. If I ever wake up now, heaven help me.
13: We pause for station identification. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. This is Cecil B. DeMille speaking to you from the stage of the Lux Radio Theater in Hollywood. The conclusion of Irene with Jeanette MacDonald will be heard shortly. Here in Hollywood, people are known by the things they do. The property man on a picture is known as props. The head electrician is the gaffer. His assistants are called juicers. And a stagehand is a grip. Perhaps you'll understand then why it was that I never knew the real name of a woman who worked on my pictures for ten years. She's been in charge of as many as 2,000 players at once, yet she was known to me only as Wardrobe. She's Wardrobe Mistress of Warner Brothers Studio now. But not until I asked her to be our guest in the Lux Radio Theater did I know that her name was Mrs. Cora Lobb.
14: I'm so used to being called wardrobes that when someone asks for Cora Lobb, I often say, I'll see if she's here. I remember so well the time you were directing a scene for the Volga Boatman, Mr. DeMille, in which the gorgeous gowns worn by 50 girls were practically ruined in a storm. Stay- Those gowns came back to the wardrobe wrinkled and caked with mud, but I don't believe you gave them a second thought.
13: No, I knew you'd take care of them.
14: Yes, we saved everyone. You see, ladies and gentlemen, it's my job as wardrobe mistress to cut down the clothes budget by making costumes last as long as possible. Take the new Joan Blondell Dick Powell picture, stage truck. It's packed full of lovely clothes that are going to keep for ages because we know how to take care of them. We wash them with luck, and that goes for gloves and stockings, too. Luxing makes gowns look like new, makes stockings wear longer. When gowns are damaged, we often have to uh, make emergency repairs. We've even used adhesive tape, paste, and chewing gum. Once on location, a hole was burned in a star's gown. We couldn't fix the dress, so we fixed the girl. Where the dress was burned, I painted her skin to match with ordinary green house paint. Last week, Mr. DeMille, you had the famous artist James Montgomery Flagg as your guest. And this week, well, I paint the stars, too. Good
13: night. <laughs> Good night, wardrobe. We continue the Lux Radio Theater presentation of Irene, starring Jeanette McDonald. Irene and Donald are still on the balcony. Only a few minutes have passed, but Irene has suddenly realized that her dream is over. She turns from Donald and stands wistfully gazing over the moonlit garden. Irene. Irene, look at me. Is anything wrong?
16: No, nothing's wrong.
13: A moment ago, you were all smiles, and now... What's happened, Irene?
16: Donald, dear, I'm afraid I woke up.
13: What are you talking about?
16: I don't know. I just... Oh, Donald, take me home. Irene. I want to go home, please.
13: Now, wait. I want to know what... Donald! Donald! Oh, yes, Eleanor.
16: I hope you don't mind my breaking in on you like this. Of
13: course. What is it, Eleanor?
16: I have a little news for you. News? Well, if you'll excuse me, Oh, don't go, Miss O'Dare. I'd like you to hear this. It's about you. Me?
13: Now, wait a minute, Eleanor. No.
16: You might as well know this, Donald, right now. The charming Miss O'Dare, who's been enjoying such popularity around here, is an imposter. Is
13: that so? And where did you get your information?
16: Natty Bradley told me. He's here tonight, and he recognized her. I
13: see. Larry would let the cat out of the bag, wouldn't he?
16: You mean you knew she was a shop girl?
13: Of course.
16: Oh, I think I'd better go, Donald. You
13: stay right where you are, Irene. I'll take care of this. A
10: shop girl. And you knew it all the time. Well, it's <laughs> really amusing, Donald. Is it? But it's a wonder you wouldn't have a little more decency than to inflict her on your own friends. Just what do you mean by that? I mean that she's nothing but a money grubber, a cheap little gold digger. What? You... Don't you dare touch me. Irene. You let me
16: alone. I want to know what she's talking about. Those pearls you're wearing will answer your question, Miss O'Dare. You didn't have them when you came. Where did you find them? Why,
19: I...
13: Let me see them. Where did you get these, Irene?
19: Why, Mr. Bowden, exactly. Mr. Bowden gave them to her.
13: Is that
11: right?
16: Yes, but... Let me explain. He he gave them to me to wear tonight. I was going to give them
19: back.
11: <laughs> Donald,
19: Donald, what is this I hear about Miss O'Dare?
17: Is it true that you're a shop girl, Miss O'Dare?
19: Yes, it is. Oh, Donald, you ought to be ashamed of yourself.
13: Mother, listen to
17: me.
19: I will not listen. Miss O'Dare, I want you to leave this house at once. <clears throat> at once, do you hear? Yes, Mrs. Marshall No,
13: Mother, you've got to listen to me It wasn't her fault, it was mine The whole idea was mine, can't you see? All
19: I can see is that she's an imposter She's here for one reason To get money from my guests
13: But that's not true I won't have you think that That's
19: all right, Donald
16: Let them think what they want It may not be true I came here to To get money, but I am an imposter I'm out of my class I don't belong here any more than you belong over on Ninth Avenue Here are your pearls, Mr. Bowden Thanks for letting me wear them Good night, Donald. It was fun while it lasted, but I guess it's all over now. I'll send the gowns back in the morning. Irene. Don't say any more, please. It's all been so swell up to now. Now I just want to remember the swell part. Good night, Donald.
11: Going
13: up. Get
17: in the rear of the car, please. Going up. So oh, you want your job back, do you, Miss O'Dare?
16: I'd like to have it back, Mr. Sweeney. Yeah, well, I don't
17: know. Now, when a girl leaves for no good reason at all, we don't usually... Oh, please. Well, how do we know you won't walk out on us again?
16: Oh, I won't. I, I haven't any place to walk to. And I do need the job, Mr. Sweeney. I haven't got anything, now. Hmm.
17: And where did you go when you left us? I was a model. A model, eh? I believe I warned you once before about getting high ideas.
16: Yes, sir. And
17: I was right, wasn't I?
16: Yes, sir.
5: Hmm.
17: Well, i tell you what I'll do, Miss O'Dare. You can go back to your job if you want to.
16: Oh, thank you. With
17: the reduction in salary. Oh. No, oh, that doesn't suit you, does it?
16: Oh, yes, sir. I was just thinking how I was going to get along on any less money than I was making. Hmm,
17: that's up to you, Miss O'Dare. If you want to work, those are the conditions. Take it or leave it.
16: I'll take it, sir. Oh, gee, my feet are killing me. How are yours? Hey, Irene, I'm talking to you. Oh. oh, I'm sorry, Jane. What'd you say? Oh, nothing. What's the matter with you lately, anyway? Ever since you got back, you've been mooning around like a lost calf. Yeah, I know. I get to thinking, and I kind of get lost. Well, you better snap out of it. Old man, Sweeney, will be having me up in the carpet again. And... Say, you going to the rehearsal this afternoon? The rehearsal? Yeah, the Salesgirls Review. We've mm. been getting along swell, only, only we need more singers. Oh, no, I'm not much interested in singing right now. Ah, oh, come on. It'll do you good. Oh, maybe I'll think it over. Cash, please. Cash, please, Miss Evans.
5: Well, I...
1: Well, it's most irregular,
13: Mr. Marshall, most irregular. I know that. Just what is it you want to see her about? It's personal. Hmm. Then why don't you try to reach her at home? I did. She has no phone. Anyway, I want to see her now.
17: Well, if you want such a good customer, Mr. Marshall, I'd say no. Thanks.
13: Where is she? Uh, well, she's uh, down in the social hall. The girls are giving a show next week, and Miss O'Dare is rehearsing. Well, may I go down there and see her? Well, I suppose so. I'll
6: have someone show you the way...
18: All right, girls, you better sit down and rest a while
15: now. Where's Miss O'Dan? Here
18: I am. Oh, this is fun for your song.
16: Yeah, I know, but I wonder if you'd excuse me just for this afternoon. I... I don't feel so oh, very good at it. Come eye.
18: on, Miss O'Dare. You can do it. And the music for Miss O'Dare's number, Joe. Right, right. We
11: build our castles in the air and build Hey, wait a minute. Are you crying?
16: No, of course not.
19: Well, it certainly
16: looks like it. Don't be silly.
19: Hello,
13: Irene. Oh. I heard you sing. It was beautiful.
16: Thanks, I. Jane, would you mind? Me? (laughs) No, I don't mind. See you closing time, Irene.
13: Well, Irene, you didn't say you were glad to see me.
16: I suppose you've come back to ask about the dresses. I know I didn't send them back yet, but I will I was going to get some boxes from the store tonight I
13: didn't come about the dresses I came to see you Oh Why did you run away that night, Irene? I wanted to speak to you
16: I thought we said about everything there was to say
13: I didn't I didn't even get started You should have heard me after you left
16: Did you have an argument?
13: Oh, a swell one
16: Gosh, I hope I didn't get you into any trouble
13: No, I guess I got you into some, though
16: Oh, that's all right well...
13: Irene, come here. Look at me. What for? That night on the balcony. Remember what I said to you?
19: Sure. I remember.
16: But I didn't take it seriously. You were just being nice to me. No,
13: no, I wasn't. I meant it, Irene. I still mean it. I love you, Irene.
16: Oh. oh would you mind saying that over again? Uh, no, no, I'll remember it, but don't tell me any more. I'm afraid to hear the last part of anything that has such a beautiful beginning.
13: Irene, will you marry me?
16: Marry? uh, When? Tomorrow. I'll be busy tomorrow. Tonight, then. Tonight. Well, darling. O'Donnell. O'Donnell, the store closes at five.
13: That's the end of the play. But tonight's Irene, Miss Jeanette MacDonald, will be with us again in a few moments. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we turn the spotlight of the Lux Radio Theater on the first great director of motion pictures. The man who changed motion pictures from a novelty to an art. He is the only director of his day who never used a megaphone. Pioneer and prophet. Trailblazer and teacher. The greatest genius of his art. C.W. Griffith.
18: <laughs> Say, uh, DeMille, uh, C.P., you know that is awfully generous. Uh, but there was a reason why I seldom use, uh, megaphone. Now let me explain. You know that during the war between the states, my father, uh, he was a commander of the 1st Kentucky Cavalry. They say he could be heard yelling above the sounds of battle. They call him Roaring Jake Griffith. Well, I didn't inherit his brains, I'm sorry to say. But perhaps I got some of his loud voice. (laughs) Our battle of pictures was almost a war in itself. Well, we were fighting each other, C.B. Uh, But for the same cause, I think we did uh, help establish the motion picture business, didn't we? Yeah, You must have had some of Roaring
13: Jake's strategy. I'll never forget... Your picture, the Battle of Elderberry Gulch. It was only a two-reeler, but it was one of the first pictures to bear the mark of
18: genius. Oh, thank you. Well, you met that attack easily enough with the first full-length one, the Squaw Man. (laughs) Then you got out the heavy artillery with the birth of a nation. That
13: was the biggest gun of the whole war.
18: Oh, (laughs) well, to say. You know, I sort of remember a picture called the Ten Commandments that you made while we were throwing this stuff at each other.
13: Uh, while we were matching each other star for star and real for real, something happened. In reaching out for new weapons, you created the fade-out and
18: the close-up. Yes, you know, people thought I'd gone crazy. I think they were about right, too. They said, what's the idea of showing people without bodies? What are they doing? Swimming? Uh, then, just as I was filming people so the audience could get a good look at their faces, oh, we had so beautiful in those days, too, didn't we? You came along with that uh, that Rembrandt lighting. Mm. And a headache. We liked the face as Rembrandt
13: did in his paintings. Often one side of the face was in darkness. One of our executives called me up in a rage. <clears throat> if you're only going to show half the face, he said, people will only want to pay half the price. I told him if you haven't got sense enough to know Rembrandt lighting when you see it, it's not my fault. Oh, he replied, is that what it is, Rembrandt lighting?
18: Oh, they'll pay double for that. And they did. <laughs> well, that's a good way to get the coin in Said, you know, C.B., there's one thing I'm getting a little tired of You know, a lot of people are always congratulating me on some of your productions Oh, it, that I don't care about Especially the King of Kings You know, at first I'd answer and say, well, that's not my picture, that King of Kings, that's the mills And finally I got tired of denying it, so I just said, now Yes yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure, that was a great picture, one of my best. You know I worked like a dog on that King of Kings. Say, so you've had some great productions on the screen, C. I Don't need to tell you that. And you're doing a fine job here with this radio theater. Say, what about that new picture of yours, The Plainsman? So many people still get us confused. I'll hope you make it good, good and good, or I'll be disgraced. <laughs> good night. Good night. Good luck. <laughs>
13: Anytime, time, any time they credit me with one of your pictures, D.W., I'm satisfied. <laughs> Seldom have we received so many requests for a player as we have for Jeanette McDonald. Among them was a petition from Detroit bearing nearly a thousand signatures, so tonight's was really a command performance. If you pictured our star only as a demure little girl in an Alice Blue gown, I think you should meet her in person. She's one of Hollywood's liveliest wits, the prima donna with a sense of humor, Miss Jeanette McDonald.
16: This, this is a little embarrassing, Mister Demille. I I may be a little gayer than the American tragedy, but I'm I'm not nearly as funny as Donald Duck.
13: <laughs> <Now> you <laughs> you quack much better.
16: Ouch. (laughs) Very encouraging.
13: Perhaps one day we'll hear you at the Metropolitan.
16: Perhaps. That's just one of my unrealized ambitions. I also want to make a concert tour of the United States. And then, uh, well, there's another ambition, but... I'm afraid to confess what it is.
13: All right, I won't ask you.
16: All right, then I'll tell you. (laughs) My other ambition is to dance just once in a picture.
13: Why just once?
16: (laughs) Well, um... Because I think just once is possibly all the public will stand for.
13: <laughs> if, you, if you dance as well as you sang tonight, you can dance at a DeMille production any time.
16: Thanks. That's quite a concession if my memory serves me rightly. Ouch. <laughs> but I do want you to know how much I enjoy your Lux radio theater. Uh-huh. All of my friends in Hollywood think it's about the greatest show on the air. Um, I never miss a performance and uh, rather wish I'd been home to hear it tonight.
13: Well, <laughs> the people who are home, Jeanette... I'm waiting to hear you sing again. So I'm going to ask you to sing, Would You, from your latest MGM picture, San Francisco. Mr. Silver, please. This is your announcer, Melville Ruick. Miss Jeanette MacDonald comes to us with the courtesy of metro golden Mayor, Louis Silvers from 20th Century Fox, and Mrs. Cora Loud from Warner Brothers. And here is our producer, Mr. Cecil B. DeMille. Next week, the Lux Radio Theater presents Lionel Barrymore, the first stage actor to enter motion pictures. The oldest Barrymore's fame is founded on scores of superb portrayals which have made him the outstanding character actor of the screen. A reputation he will more than sustain in our next production. Our sponsors, the makers of Lux Flakes, join me in inviting you to listen to another great performance by Lionel Barrymore in the Lux Radio Theater next Monday night. This is Cecil B. DeMille saying good night to you from Hollywood. Heard on tonight's program were selections from IRE and would you from the Motion Picture San Francisco?
8: This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.
2: Alright, y'all. We've got we've we've just set a spell. Take your shoes off and set a fail a little bit longer because we're not done yet. Um this next one is called Matinee Theater. And the title of it is My Favorite Wife and um yeah Victor and I were just talking wondering how many wives this guy had but uh you might think it has to do with uh, uh there is a radio show called My Favorite Wife and um so I thought it might might have been a long version of that when uh, or based on it when I started listening to it the other day but no that's not it this is something different but anyway kick back and enjoy oh because i will
0: Vic's matinee theater Vicks Matinee Theater, presented by the makers of Vicks Batronol, brings you My Favorite white starring Victor Jory as Nick Arden and supported by Betty Winkler as Ellen and Martha Sleeper as Bianca. You know, more and more millions of people are using Vicks Batronol Nose Drops to relieve distress of head colds, benefit by their experience. Ladies and gentlemen, today from the stage of the Matinee Theatre, Vix brings you one of the most amusing love stories ever told Leo McCarey's delightful comedy romance, My Favorite Wife. As the curtain rises, we're in the Los Angeles County Court of General Sessions. Judge Walter Bryson presiding. Good morning, Your Honor. Good morning. It would be very kind of you if you just could... Just uh... a moment. Kurt, wasn't I supposed to marry someone? Why, uh, yes. yes. Yes, sir. Well, let's get it over with. If you'll pardon me just a moment, Your Honor. I'm Nick Arden. The Arden case is a very complicated case. It can wait for the wedding, can't it? Not very well, Your Honor. Very well, Mr. Arden. I don't see anyone around waiting to get married anyhow. Now, Mr. Arden, as I understand it, your wife, Ellen Wagstaff Arden, was a member of an anthropological expedition shipwrecked off the coast of, uh, Windo, China...
1: Is that right, Mr. Arden?
0: Yeah, that's right. Uh, what was she doing on an expedition? You'll find the circumstances set forth in my brief, sir. Mm, let's see. Oh, yes, yes. They said Ellen Lagstaff like Arden was engaged as photographer for a period of three months. You see, in the first place, we were going to take the trip together, but, well, I became involved in the case. Well, let me should... read the brief, Mr. Arden. Yes, you're stop interrupting. Ellen Lagstaff like Arden was last seen entering one of the lifeboats when the wave. Oh, that's, that's very sad, very sad. What effort did you make the trace to trace the whereabouts of your wife? On page eight, I went to Bangkok and interviewed the, all the available survivors who agreed the said Ellen Wagstaff-Arden had been swept overboard, overboard before any could reach the deposition of Yes, Your
5: Honor.
0: The testimony is here, sworn affidavits, no evidence to the contrary. The law is clear. I hereby pronounce Ellen Wagstaff-Arden legally dead. Now then, wasn't I supposed to marry somebody? Yes, sir, uh, me. Uh, just a minute, I'll call Bianca. She's right outside. Uh, come in, dear. Are you going to marry again? Uh, yes, your honor. Are you quite sure you've had time to think it over?
23: Your honor, Mr. Arden is over twenty-one. No, no
0: Bianca. All right, All oh, hands. <laughs>
23: I can't believe it. Oh, here, now, (laughs) Ma. take it easy. It's not as bad as all that. I just can't believe it. How's Nicky? Nicky? Yes. You know, your son, my husband. Oh, he's fine. Where have you been, Ellen? Latitude 12, longitude 128. And I'd still be there if a Portuguese freighter hadn't wandered two miles off its course. Where's Nicky? Well, uh, Ellen, sit down and I'll tell you. (laughs) Married? When? How? Where is he? Sit down, and I'll tell you.
0: Now, my name is Auden, Nicholas Auden. I have a reservation. Oh, yes, sir, Mr. and Mrs. Nicholas Auden. The bridal Suite, yes. Front, boy.
23: I certainly feel dusty after all that drive. A bath will feel wonderful.
0: Uh, Mr. Arden, then may I, I speak to you privately for a moment? Oh, of course, sir. It... Excuse me, Bianca. Did you want a bellhop, sir? Just a moment, boy. I want you to take Mr. and Mrs. Arden to Suite B. I'll go on up to the room, darling. All oh, well, right, I'll be right up. Mr. Arden, there's a lady waiting to see you in Suite A. Uh, a lady? I think you'd better go up for a moment, sir. She says her name is Mrs. Arden. Mrs. Arden. Mrs. Arden! Mrs. <laughs> Arden! <laughs>
5: Ellen, Nick, Dark. darling.
23: Oh, I've waited a long time for
0: that kiss. It was
23: just as beautiful as I thought it would be.
0: When did you get back? This morning. I want all the details. How you got back where you've been. Lord, you <laughs> <give up>. look <laughs> wonderful. Where have you been?
23: On an island in the South Pacific. I'll give you the details, but it'll take time.
0: How did you know I was here? Ma
23: told me. Nick, what are you going to do about Bianca? Oh, I'm, I'm
0: just going uh, Bianca?
5: Uh-huh.
0: Heavens, i forgot all about Bianca. Oh, this isn't going to be easy. Bianca's very sensitive. She's... She's... A, she's high-strung. Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh. <laughs> Uh, yes. Uh, what do you want, Mr. Arden? We run a first-class hotel, and we don't like to be made a party to an intrigue. We've maintained a reputation for respectability for thirty years, and we don't intend to lose it in one night.
23: Oh. Uh, but it's really a very simple situation, Mr. Roomercliff. Explain it to him, Nick.
0: Explain it to him. Well, <laughs> of course I will. Uh, uh, that is, I'll I'll try. I uh, see. I came up here with my wife, my my bride, really. Uh, now my wife, not my bride. Uh, Oh, why should I bore you with the details? I won't be bored. <laughs> well, um, Mr. Arden, one wife is all the law of the hotel allows. One of them will have to leave.
23: <laughs> Look, Nick, darling, it's really very simple. I'll go home, and then you go tell Bianca what's happened, and then you come home. That
0: sounds simple to you, doesn't
23: it? Oh, very simple. Mm. Is that satisfactory with the hotel?
0: Very satisfactory.
23: Well, then, it's all settled. Go ahead, uh, uh, right now?
0: Right, right now. now Oh, well, all right Hey, Ma, is anybody home? Come
23: on in, Bianca oh, Ma, he's brought her home He couldn't have told her then Ma! In the living room, dear what an awkward situation! Yes, isn't it? Listen, ma, I'll be a visitor from the south. Uh, in the living room, Nicky, darling. Uh,
5: uh, hello.
23: Hello, Mother Arden. Hello, Bianca. Did you have a nice time? No, we drove all night. Hi, the Nicholas, honey. You all won't mind if I kiss the bridegroom, will you, honey? Uh, not at all. Just one big sisterly kiss. That uh, sisterly kiss is kind of getting away from you, isn't it? <laughs> oh, that was just as nice as ever, honey. What a shame she had to stop. Oh,
0: she you, Jim?
23: I—I don't believe I've met this lady. She—she's uh, visiting with us. Her mother and I went to school in Virginia. I feel just as though she's my own daughter. Oh, how nice! Isn't he just the sweetest thing you ever saw? I used to just to adore him. He was the darlingest boy you ever did see. But faithless. Hmm. Just like a bumblebee going from flower to flower. Oh, you
0: have had about enough. <laughs> so
23: have I. Nick, I'm very tired. Do you think we might excuse ourselves until morning? No,
0: of course, Bianca. I'll
23: take you up to your room, Bianca.
0: You do that, more, I'll be right up, Bianca.
23: My hope so, Nick. Why didn't you tell her at the hotel, Nick?
0: Well, I kept building up to it, but I couldn't seem to get there.
23: Well, you better tell her now or forget about telling her entirely. Fun's fun, but it's not being fun now. Okay,
0: okay. Uh, Give me a kiss, darling.
23: Uh, All right, Casanova.
0: (laughs) Now, Bianca, stop crying and listen to me. I've got to talk to you.
5: Do you love
23: me, Nick, or, or don't you? In the name of heaven, tell me what's, what's wrong with Bianca, me. Bianca, there's nothing wrong with
0: you. Now, believe me, under other circumstances, you... <laughs> Bianca, please stop crying. Let me explain.
23: We've been married for two days, and you haven't so much as kissed me since we left the old... If you just keep
0: still and listen, that's better. Now, now, I, uh, I, uh, well, well, I, uh, Doorbell! That's for me. I'll be
5: right back. Nick! did come
23: back here? There's someone else answering. Oh, his I'll
0: learn, All right. Uh, Mr. Harden? Yeah? I'm Johnson of the American Life and Accident Insurance. Well, come, come right in, Mr. Johnson. Thank you. Come yeah. in and sit down. I'm glad to see you, Mr. Johnson. Uh, you are? Well, that doesn't happen very frequently. Uh, you comfortable? Uh, yes, yes. Well, uh, have a cigarette. Let me get your drink. Why, thank you. What can I do for you, Mr. Johnson? Here's a drink. Uh, thank you. Uh, Mr. Arden, have you received any communication from your first wife, Ellen Wagstaff? Uh-huh. Well, I... Uh, what are you uh, driving at? Well, well, our district manager, Mr. Pusey, uh, claims to have a report that a woman answering the general description of your first wife was rescued by a Portuguese freighter, and was also a man named Stephen Burkett was reported drowned at the same time. A man named Who was picked up with whom? Would you mind saying that again? Oh, don't Don't let yourself get upset about it. If you knew Mr. Pusey like the rest of us... Did you say a man named Stephen Burkett was rescued at the same time as my wife? Well, according to this completely unverified rumor, they were on their island for seven years together. What? What? (laughs) That's the rumor. (laughs) It's ridiculous, isn't it? What else did your Mr... Your Mr here. Well, not very much, really. He talked to someone who had talked to a Portuguese captain. He says the woman called the man Adam. Adam? Adam. That's fine. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. Isn't that a delightful fancy? Yeah, that's just delightful. You ought to be very grateful that it is only a fancy, because aside from the money involved, can you imagine the pickle you'd be in if it were? Adam and Eve, huh? Of course, even if it were true, that angle wouldn't bother you. It's easy to see you're not a jealous man, Mister Arden. But you're mistaken, Mister Johnson. I'm a very jealous man. I have a guess if you look at you. <laughs> well, Mister Arden, since you have no news for me, I really must be running along. Good night, Mister Arden. Good night, Mister Johnson. <laughs>
23: Don't you know it isn't polite to bang doors? How can a lady get
0: any sleep? Why didn't you tell me you weren't alone on that island?
23: You didn't ask
0: me. Why do you so dissemble and deceive? I just had a session with the insurance investigator. How am I going to look when this story comes out? My wife and that man alone on an island for seven years. Well,
23: we didn't arrange
0: it, Nick. It just happened. I'll bet it did. Why didn't you tell me about him?
23: Because I knew you'd carry on exactly the way you're carrying on now.
0: That's no excuse.
23: I wanted to pick the right time to tell you. There never will be a right
0: time. Seven years, huh Seven years.
23: Oh, get that look out of your eye. The poor fellow broke his leg trying to drag our boat through the surf. He, he was laid up for six months. Oh,
0: yeah? Well, that still leaves six and a half years. <laughs> Do
23: you know, Nick Arden, it just occurs to me that I ought to feel insulted? I go through seven years of agony. I come home to find my husband in the arms of another woman, married. And all my husband can think about is, did I carry on with some poor man who who wouldn't hurt a fly?
0: Now, just a moment. Now, stop right there. You
23: just a moment yourself. Did you tell her?
0: Did I tell uh,
23: Huh? Huh? Did you?
0: Well, I was about to tell her when the insurance investigator came.
23: How long does it take to tell a woman my wife's come back? Look, I can say it in two seconds. My wife's come back. You've had two days. Oh, Nick.
0: Now, now, don't you start (laughs) yowling too.
23: (laughs) You just don't want to tell her. That's why you're picking on poor Adam. Any excuse will do.
0: Where is he now? Who? You know who I'm talking about. Oh, Adam? Yes, Adam. Poor Adam.
23: Uh Poor, gentle, harmless Adam. He lives at the um, YMCA.
0: He lives at the the YMCA? Mm
23: Mm-hmm. He always lives at the YMCA. He's a clean, living, upright, 100% American and a gentleman. Is there anything more you'd like to know?
0: Yes. When do I meet him?
23: When do you tell her?
0: I don't like your attitude. I don't like your attitude about this whole thing. Good night, Ellen. Good night, Miss. Adam, Adam. Adam, Nick, Adam. Nick, where are you going now? Oh, for heaven's sake, you now, Bianca. You're worse than a bloodhound. I'm going to the YMCA.
5: Good night. <laughs>
0: Just a moment, act two of My Favorite Wife, starring Victor Jory. Friends, a neglected head cold can make you feel pretty miserable. Sniffles, sneezes, your head all stuffed up. Well, I want to tell you of a simple way to quickly relieve such head cold distress. All you do is put a few drops of Vicks Batronol in each nostril. It's really remarkable how a little of this specialized medication brings grand relief in short order. Instantly, Vatronol starts to work right where trouble is to soothe sniffly, sneezy irritation and help clear stuff in it. And because it makes breathing easier by reducing nasal congestion, many people find Vatronol especially beneficial at night when a head cold often makes breathing so difficult it's hard to get to sleep. So for head cold distress, friends, try Vatronol. You'll like the way it brings such prompt relief. You'll learn why thousands of people always keep a bottle of Vatronol handy, ready for instant use when a head cold strikes. Follow directions in the package. Vic's Vatronol Nose Drops. The curtain rises on the second act at Vic's Matinee Theater starring Victor Jory in My Favorite Wife. As our scene opens, it's the following morning in Nick Arden's office. Miss Ross? Yes, sir? I want you to find a Stephen Burke. Drop everything else. It's very important. I've called all the hotels. Now, you try the country clubs, the men's clubs.
23: The athletic clubs, the YMCA?
0: Not the YMCA. I spent the night there. I never heard of him.
23: I'll get right to work on it, Mr. Arden. <laughs> I found him, Mr. Arden. I found him. You
0: did? Good.
23: I happened to go to the Pacific Club for lunch. Yes. We had a table right by the windows that opened out on the swimming pool, and someone pointed him out to me. You
0: pointed him out to you, huh? A uh, pretty old duffer, isn't he? Sort of a um, Casper Milk
23: An old duffer? Oh, I should say not. Mm-hmm. In a bathing suit, he's a combination of Johnny Weissmuller, Ronald Coleman, and Cary Grant. <laughs> you know
0: what I mean. <laughs> I know what you mean. Get my house on the phone and ask my mother to have Ellen meet me at the Pacific Club for dinner.
23: Yes, sir, right away, sir. Or oh, uh, Do you want a table by the
0: pool? By the pool? Why not? By all means, a table by the pool. <laughs>
23: club, Nick. It's new, isn't it?
18: Yes, it is.
23: How nice to have the tables looking on the swimming pool. I you think they'd uh, light it up for
0: something. I guess nobody swims at night.
23: Um, Nick, why did you get a table for
0: free? I'm expecting a guest. You'll be here any moment.
23: I don't quite like the glint in
0: your eye. Eve, darling! Oh... Oh,
23: Stephen.
0: How do you do, Mr. Burkett? I'm Mr. Arden. How do you do, Arden? Sit down, sit down. We were waiting for you. You look wonderful, Eve, but you look better on the island. Well, you <laughs>
23: must admit the clothes are an improvement. Well. I mean, well, after all, I didn't have many changes. You but... did? May I, I mean...
5: take your
6: order,
0: please? No, what would you have, Mr. Burkett? A raw steak?
6: No, oh, no, no, never touch it.
0: I'm strictly a vegetarian.
6: Uh, bring me a glass of carrot
0: juice, a milkshake, and some raw carrots. Two steaks and anything that goes with them. Yes. Eve, hey, you hear what they're playing. Mm-hmm. Music, isn't it? Yeah. The name of it, Ellen, is South Sea Island Magic. Uh-huh. Isn't it a coincidence that they should play that too? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> a doggone funny one.
23: Uh, what do you think, Steve? Nick is married again.
16: What? Why, that's wonderful. That makes everything perfect. Congratulations, old boy. Now I can tell you that I'd like to marry
0: Eve. Oh, you would, would you? Nick, people are looking at us. You think you're going to marry her? You're full of carrots.
5: <laughs>
0: you're not allowed to have two wives, you know. How long were you married to Ellen? Before the island. Four years. What if you?
5: <laughs> well,
0: I was with her for seven, so I claim her on the basis of seniority. <laughs> got you there. You've got me, you've got nothing but a lot of... If you
23: gentlemen will excuse me, I think maybe you could settle this thing better without me. Don't get up. It might surprise you to know that I can get along very well without either one of you. I'm perfectly able to take care of myself. Good night.
0: Uh, Ellen, not that way. That's the way to the swimming pool. Ellen! Come on, it's dark out there. She's too mad to see where she's going. She won't even know the pool's there. Ah! Nick! She knows it's there now
11: Coming Eve, coming
0: You wait here in the car, Carrots Burkett, while I go in and uh, while I go in and get her some clothes Now really, wasn't it a little ridiculous making me come along? I could have stayed and had a nice visit with Ellen while you got her clothes You've had enough visiting With with Ellen you have a suspicious nature, old boy. You want to watch that? I mean, I'll take care of my nature, and you take care of yours. I'll be right back.
23: Nick? Nick, is that you, darling? Hello,
0: Bianca. I can't stop just now. I've got a friend that fell in a swimming pool. I've got to get some clothes for him.
23: But, Nick, Nick, I have to talk to you. After all, you should show me some consideration. I will, Bianca,
0: a little later. I have to go upstairs and get the clothes.
23: I'll go with you. Nick, I called our family doctor about her. He says there are hundreds of similar cases.
0: Not like this one.
23: Well, all I can say is, you'll certainly make me feel like a failure as a wife, and I, I haven't even had the the chance to fail. Now,
0: let's see, there ought to be something in here. Yeah, here's one.
23: Nick, Nick, that's a dress you're taking.
0: I told you it was for a friend of mine. He's waiting downstairs. Um, let's see now, hat, coat, dress, shoes. I guess I'll see you later, Bianca. Nick,
23: you aren't even listening to I'm me.
0: Sorry, I will some other time, Bianca.
23: Oh, Nick!
0: Look here, Bianca. I wish you wouldn't follow me up and downstairs. It makes me nervous. What do you want? Can't a man come into his own home without being spied on?
23: I'm only trying to help you, dear. Wouldn't you like to lie down for a while? Are you
0: crazy, Bianca? Well, the doctor said you need rest. I don't need rest. I need a little peace.
23: Well, what's, what's wrong with There's you? There's
0: nothing wrong with me. I'm trying to tell you, Bianca. I'm married.
23: Of course you are, dear.
0: Oh, look, my wife's not dead. She didn't drown the shipwreck. She fell in the pool tonight. I'm getting her some clothes. Well, that's Kara honking. I've got to go.
23: Nick! Nick, Wait! Wait! What did you say?
0: Goodness, isn't it clear to you? Do I have to draw you a diagram? Listen, she came to the hotel. You remember the honeymoon. Darling, you do need a rest. Now, who's that? (laughs) Mr. Rodden? Good heavens. A policeman. What do you want? Are you Nicholas Arden? Yes. I got a warrant for your arrest.
23: Uh, arrest arrest.
0: You can't arrest me. What's the charge? Beg of me. B beg me. Yeah, b beg me. Ha ha. Now do you believe me? No, it's a
5: good one. Quiet,
0: quiet, quiet. I can't hear myself yeah. think. If your honor please I don't know what you're doing in my court, Mr. Arden. In the first place, bigamy, is a criminal offense. All you people are cluttering up this court, and you don't belong here. Yes, I know, Your Honor, but I'm out on bail. What kind of a lawyer are you? Where did you go to school? Ah, Harvard. Uh-huh. I'm a Yale <laughs> man myself.
5: <laughs>
0: uh, are you the bride? Yes, Your Honor. Kissless? Yes, Your Honor. <clears throat> Harvard man.
1: <laughs> well, let me see who's here. Nicholas Arden, Bianca Arden, Ellen Wagstaff Arden. Mm-hmm. Well, I've looked over the papers in your case, Mr. Arden. I see nothing wrong with my
0: decision. The evidence is all here. What do you want me to do, reverse myself? Well, yes, in the manner of speaking.
1: Then you go to the Court of Appeals. They're well, always reversing me anyway.
0: This is your decision, Your Honor. You declared my wife Ellen legally dead in this very courtroom. Your decision is on file.
1: Well, I'm going to declare her legally
0: alive. <laughs> you can't do that, Your Honor. If she's legally alive, I'm guilty of bigamy. Besides, if she's legally dead, she 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 can't marry Burkett. Burkett? Burkett? Who? Who's Burkett? What does he have to do with this case? Well, he was on the Island with her, Your Honor. He he's not important to the case. I'll decide what's important to the case. What island? In the island where my wife stayed for seven years. Seven years, eh? Alone? Is that in the brief? Uh, no, Your Honor. Oh, that should be in the brief.
1: That's the most interesting part of the case. <laughs> Wait until my wife hears about this. Thinks all my cases are dull. Uh, yes, yes. Well, uh, well, it seems to me the thing for me to do is to annul the second marriage.
5: Your Honor.
23: I just want to tell you what this man's done to me from the moment he first married me. Now, never mind that. He is the most nasty, double-crossing, unreliable, deceiving...
5: Quiet,
0: quiet.
23: lying, ill-tempered, low-down, mangy, no good... Careful now! God, ...that has ever meant my misfortune to marry.
5: Quiet!
0: That will cost he you ten dollars. I
23: ten dollars, and it was worth it! And as far as I'm concerned, Nick Arden, you're legally dead!
0: Hmm. Quick-tempered woman. <laughs> have to watch out
1: for her time.
0: Well, now then
1: I have a pretty clear idea of the picture. This is our procedure. We file an annulment, and we declare Ellen like Steph Arden legally alive, and we adjourn for the day. But, but wait
0: a minute. What, 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 what about the marriage? What marriage? Ellen and I, we, we want to get married. You are married. Didn't I just tell you? Well, what do you want to do, make it as hard as you can for me? We are the second marriage and the first one stands. Is that all right with everybody? All right with me.
15: Well, I
23: don't know whether it's all right with me or not. Seems to me I'm being pushed around quite a lot here. Yes.
0: Young woman, I am considered a very patient man,
5: but
1: the case of Arden versus Carter Arden versus Wagstaff Arden has me completely at the end of my patience. Now, either you take him in hand or I'm going to commit him to an institution. He's a very confusing man to let run around loose.
23: Ha-ha, oh, but, judge he's so cute when
0: he's confused.
23: And he likes to collect wives, you know, the way some people collect stamps. I do oh, ma'am.
0: A can get in a lot of trouble collecting wives. A man can get into a lot of trouble with one, just like her. Ha-ha, oh, go
23: on. You know I'm your favorite wife.
0: Look, will you two go home so I can close court? I'm not as young as I used to be, and I get tired about this time of day. Go ahead. Just and makeup so I can close the court in peace. It's going to be all right, isn't it, Alan? No more, Burkett?
23: No more, Bianca? No more. Okay, Miss Rodden. from now on, just Ellen and
0: Nick. Sweetheart. My dearest. My dearest. Mm. I've been waiting so long for that. And I've been waiting so long for you. Court's adjourned. Let's go home.
1: Darling. Dearest. Court's adjourned. Let's go home.
5: Darling. Dearest.
1: Oh,
8: please, folks. Court's adjourned. Let's go home.
0: In just a moment, Victor Jory will tell you about next week's production at Vic's Matinee Theater. Friends, remember the epidemic of cold that started about this time last year? Well, to be sure, it may not happen again this year. But nevertheless, this is the time to watch out for cold. Do all you can to guard against infection. Avoid people who have colds. Get plenty of rest and sleep. And if you suddenly start sniffling and sneezing, just put a few drops of Vic's Batronol in each nostril. Vatronol is a specialized medication, a double-duty nose drop that quickly goes to work right where most colds start. It not only relieves the sneezy irritation and stuffiness, but actually helps prevent many colds from developing if used in time. Just try it, friends, and always keep a bottle of Vatronol handy, ready to use at the first sign of a head cold. Follow the simple directions in the package. Vic Vatronol Nose Drop. This is Victor Jory. We have received numerous requests for such plays as Love Affair, Scholar Pimpernel, Penny Serenade, Rebecca, Jane Eyre, and others. It is our desire to bring these and other fine plays to you as soon as possible. What would you like to hear? Write me in care of Vicks Matinee Theater, Columbia Broadcasting, 22, New York. Next week's request play will be based on Martha Cheever's great story Henny Serenade It's the story of two people who found each other at a moment when it seemed that life had torn them irrevocably apart It is a heartwarming and beautiful tale and I know you won't want to miss it Our play was written by Gene Holloway from the Leo McCary RKO production and was directed by Richard Sandville. RKO is currently showing the stirring and revealing picture against Nazism, the master race at your local theater. Music for this series is under the direction of Mark Warnow. Be sure to listen next week when the Vicks Matinee Theater presents Penny Serenade, starring Victor Jory. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
2: Hey everybody, are you sitting comfortable with your beer and your hot dog and your uh, coffee or Coke or Pepsi or whatever? Because we got some more good entertainment for you. This one is Mercury Theater on Air, and it's called The Apple Tree.
22: Good
24: evening, this is Orson Welles, bringing you another radio show for Lady Esther. Tonight we're doing one of the outstanding stories of one of the outstanding writers of our time. The Apple Tree by John Goldsworthy. Our special guest, and for us a very special guest indeed, is Miss Geraldine Fitzgerald. You all know her as a movie star. Perhaps you don't know her as a veteran of the Mercury. You don't if you're not a New Yorker. Well, altogether it's not at all difficult for me to say nice things about her, but I want to make it clear that... My critical opinion isn't influenced in the slightest by any feelings of friendship or loyalty. It's quite possible, you know, for one's good friends to be bad actors. Having said this, I want to add at once that my good friend Geraldine is a very fine actress indeed, and we're fortunate and happy to have her with us to play in Galsworthy's The Apple Tree. It Stella's and my silver wedding anniversary. We'd motored to Torquay, where we first met, to celebrate. And Stella had suggested that we take a lunch and drive out on the moor.
16: It would be so lovely there, Frank, and quite warm in the sun. I can do some sketching while you read.
24: We drove several miles and stopped on a high hill with a view into the deep valley beyond. Stella wandered off somewhere to sketch, and I stretched out in the sun and watched the sky and longed for I knew not what. No reason I should be unhappy, even mildly disturbed. My life had been pleasant, and my marriage quite successful. As I lay there, it seemed to me there was something missing. Something that had nothing to do with pleasant lives or successful marriages. The familiar words of Hippolytus echoed in my mind: the apple tree, the singing, the gold, the apple tree. And quite suddenly I remembered I'd been here before, years before. I'd stood on this self-same hill. I knew the valley into which I looked. That ribbon of road and the old wall behind. Life has moments of sheer beauty. Of unbidden, flying rapture. But they last no longer than the span of a cloud's flight over the sun. I'd stumbled on just such a moment in my own life. I'd stumbled on a buried memory. A wild, sweet time. It was after my first year at college. A friend of mine, Robert Carton, and I were making a walking tour of the country around Torquay. And my knee, which had been injured in a football game the year before, was giving me trouble, and I knew I'd have to give up the tour. We were looking for a farmhouse somewhere we could put up till I got better.
13: I don't think you ought to walk much farther. Hmm. Why don't I go ahead and reconnoiter? or oh, I won't need to. There's someone coming.
24: Ago. The wind blew her crude little skirt against her legs and lifted her battered tam It It's clear she's a country girl. Her shoes were split and her hands were rough and brown, and her hair waved untidily across her forehead. But her lashes were long and dark. Her gray eyes were a wonder. Dewey,
21: as if opened for the first time that day. Hello. Could you tell us if there's a farm near here where we could spend the night? My friend's getting pretty lame.
10: That's our farm, sir.
21: Could you put us
13: sir? I'm
10: sure my aunt would be glad to. If you like, I'll show you the way. I'd
13: appreciate it very much.
10: It's not very far, just down in the valley. Right through the apple orchard and we're there.
24: Just through a narrow wood we came on the farm. A long, low, stone-built house with casement windows and the farmyard where pigs and fowls and an old mare were straying about in front and orchard of apple trees just breaking into flower. A woman stood by the door watching us as we approached.
10: This is Mrs. Naracombe, my aunt.
24: We met your niece on the road. She said she might put us up.
23: Well, I can if you don't mind one
20: room. Megan, get the spare room ready and I'll fetch a bowl of cream. The gentleman will be wanting tea, I expect.
24: Thank you, Mrs. Naracombe. Huh. By the way, we haven't been introduced. No, sir. Oh, this is Robert Cotton. I'm Frank Ashurst.
10: How do you do, sir? What's your name? Megan David.
24: Are you a Devonshire girl?
10: Oh, no, sir. I'm from Wales.
24: You're very young, aren't you?
10: I'm 17, sir.
24: How many of you live here?
10: There's my aunt and her two nephews, the boys you saw as you came. Nick and Rick, they're called. Then there's the old Jim, a a family. Yes, sir. If there's anything else you want, you'll call.
13: All right. Well, thank you. Pretty thing, isn't she? <laughs>
24: Like a flower. Like a wildflower you come upon unexpectedly in the woods.
13: Mm, a bit poetic for me, but I see your point. I say, Frank, your knee's pretty bad. What do you say I leave you here for a couple of days?
24: That's hurt like the devil. What about you? Oh, I
13: have to get back to London, but I can get the train from Torquay. That is, if you don't mind being left alone. Well, of
24: fact, I shall like it. Nothing to do but dream and watch spring on a farm. I've always wanted to do that.
13: Well, good luck to you. And look me up when you get to London. And be careful of the wildflowers. <laughs>
24: good to be left alone. They're glad to have me. Megan and her aunt worried about my lameness as if I'd been one of the family. the very first, I felt that Megan liked me. She performed little kindnesses for me that weren't part of her duties. As the days went by, I began to expect them. When I woke in the morning, the thought of her made me anxious to be up and downstairs. Even if I didn't talk with her, i like to be near where I could hear her singing at her work. One day I was down by the big apple tree, and the two little boys, Nick and Rick, were playing there by the pool. What's
11: up, Rick? The gypsy bogle gets you. <laughs> <laughs> what do
24: you mean by the gypsy bogle?
11: The gypsy bogle there on that stone there by the apple tree sometimes. Oh,
24: uh-huh, the gypsy bogle. What's he look like?
10: But no, never seen he. Megan says he's there.
24: <laughs>
10: Megan's a fear of him. Oh, But she's not a fear you. No? She says a prayer for you.
24: How do you know that, you little rascal?
10: When I was asleep, she said, God bless us all. And Mr.
11: Ashes...
24: Oh, you're a little rough here to tell me what you hear, and you're not meant to hear it.
11: You see, Rick, I told you not to tell you.
5: Rick,
11: (laughs) Rick? come here, both of you. Here they are, Megan. And
10: I've been looking all over for the rascals. Go into the house at once. Auntie wants you. Go on with you. Rick told you about the gypsy bogo. Go on now. No (laughs) more nonsense out of you children are silly sometimes. I don't think
24: so. They're often more sensible than grown-ups. Tell me, Megan, what's the gypsy boggle they're talking about?
10: He brings bad things. There are boggles in the rocks. They're men who lived long ago. There's one that comes here and sits on that rock.
24: Oh, i I come down one night and sit on his rock and have a talk oh, with him. Oh,
10: please don't. Something will happen to you. Does
24: it matter if anything
10: happens
24: to me, Megan? Will it disturb you love? Well, I dare say I shan't see him because I... I suppose I shall have to be off soon. Oh no! Do you like me to stay? Yes, very much. Then I will stay. And tonight, Megan, I'm going to say a prayer for you.
10: You're laughing at me. Oh no! You're laughing at us, all of us.
24: That's not true, Megan. Believe me, that's not
10: true. Right. Wait, I... Megan.
24: You're here. You're here. It's caught in the apple blossoms. Don't move, Megan. Oh, you're beautiful. These clusters of pink blossoms in your dark hair. Megan. Megan. You're very, very sweet, Megan. You too. Megan, come here tonight. To the big apple tree. After they've gone to bed Megan promise
5: I promise
22: For a long
24: time after Megan had fled away through the orchard I stood there Under the apple tree This was the beginning Of what She was so lovely unutterably lovely untouched I felt somehow as if I'd beheld a miracle and it had transformed me I walked on toward the wild meadow Jim the hired man was out there
22: good evening to me Mr. Ashurst evening Jim brave weather for the grass
24: Jim tell me you've seen the gypsy bogle too is that right
22: in my mind, this was there this evening, a oh? bit of four. Ask Megan if he were there. She's eaten. Yeah. And she's sensitive. She feels everything. She's very loving hearted. Loving hearted. Yes. That
24: was it. Loving hearted.
17: How was I to do about this girl that loved me so, and whom I loved?
24: I walked for a long time. in the orchard, I broke off a spray from a crab apple tree. The buds were like Megan,
17: shell pink, rose pink, wild and fresh. the opening flowers white and wild and touching.
21: To Orson Welles and Geraldine Fitzgerald in the Apple Tree. They will be back in just a moment to continue the story. But we have something we'd like you to hear first. It's about youth and beauty. And it's from one of our foremost
1: authorities on those subjects, Lady Esther.
20: Would you be surprised if I told you that the skin of your face can look two or three different ages? Well, it's true. Your skin may look a young 18 or 20 on your cheeks, but around your eyes and mouth, across your forehead, it may look 30 or 35. Now, a drawn, tired-looking skin and little lines due to dryness may not be signs of age at all. They may be, in fact, they're very likely to be, an indication that something is wrong with your method of skin care. Perhaps the face cream you use doesn't agree with your skin, Or maybe your skin is a little sick, a little upset from too many different kinds of beauty preparations. That often happens, you know. A too rich diet is as bad for your skin as it is for your stomach. So if you're not happy about the condition of your skin, if you have little lines around your eyes and mouth, if you have blackheads and big pores, try the modern, simplified method of skin care. Not a lot of different preparations that may work against each other, but just one cream. Lady Esther Four Purpose Face Cream. You see, Lady Esther Face Cream takes care of four important needs of your skin. First, it cleanses your skin. Second, it softens your skin. Third, it helps nature refine the pores. And fourth, it leaves a perfect non-sticky base for powder and makeup. So if you want to be as modern in your skin care as you are in everything else, get a jar of my face cream. See for yourself why more and more women are turning to Lady Esther for-purpose face cream every day.
21: Orson Welles and Geraldine Fitzgerald now continue tonight's story,
1: The Apple Tree.
24: kept a promise. Megan met me under the apple tree that night. She came straight toward me and into my arms. And our lips sought each other and we stood there together for a long time in the moonlight.
10: Megan. Megan, why did you come Sir, you asked me to. Megan, dear, don't
24: call me sir.
10: What should I be calling you? Frank. Oh, I couldn't.
24: You love me,
10: don't you? I couldn't help loving you, and I want to be with you. That's all. All? I shall die if I can't be with you. You
24: shall be with me forever, Megan. We'll go to London. I'll show you the world.
10: I don't care where we go. If I can be with you, that is all.
24: Tomorrow, dear. I'll go to Torquay and get some money and get you some clothes. It won't be noticed. When we get to London, if you love me well enough, we'll be married.
10: Oh, no, I couldn't. I only want to be with you. Oh,
24: Megan. I'm not nearly good enough for you. Tell me, when did you begin to love me?
10: Well, I saw you on the road and you looked at me. The first night I loved you, but I never thought you'd want me. Oh, my
5: darling. My darling.
10: Oh, look. Look. The gypsy bogle. Where?
24: I don't see anything.
10: There, sitting on the rock under the tree. Oh,
24: Megan, there's nothing there, only the moonlight on the rock.
10: I saw him. I'm afraid. It's a bad sign. I must go in.
24: Darling Megan, there's nothing there. There's no gypsy bogle. It's only your imagination.
10: You don't see the bogles, but I see them, and I know. Good night.
24: Megan! Megan! I heard the gate click, and I knew she'd go in. Instead of her, only this old apple tree. The scent of the woods, a and above me and around,
22: the blossoms, more living, more moonlit than ever. They seemed to glow and breathe.
24: The next morning, I left early and went to Torquay. Wanted to get some money, and I had to cash a check. But I found that without credentials, I'd have to wait till they wired the London bank for verification. While well, I waited for the answer, I. Shop for a dress for Megan.
20: Here's something, sir. It's very smart, really, and should just suit the girl you describe.
24: But the more I looked at all those smart, modish dresses, the less they seemed suited to Megan. It's incredible that Megan, my Megan, could ever be dressed in anything except the rough tweed skirt and the battered tam-o'-shanter I'd always seen her wear. couldn't make up my mind, and yet. She couldn't wear old clothes in London. Wouldn't suit her there. I couldn't make up my mind as I walked the streets of Torquay, confused and undecided. Well, Frank Ashurst. So Phil well, well, this is a surprise. Well, I haven't seen you since rugby. No. What are you doing down here in Torquay? I'm just looking around, waiting for my bank to wire back confirmation of my signature. I get some money. Oh, if you're not lunching anywhere, come with me. I'm here with my sister, Stella. You'll come? All right. I haven't any good reason for refusing, Phil. That's splendid. We'll have a lot to talk about. And Stella will be pleased. Been pretty lonely for her with nobody but an older brother for
22: company. Come along, old boy.
24: Great Scott. I'd completely forgotten the time. It's after three. The bank's closed. That's great. That means you'll have to stay over in Torquay. You can't get any money today. Oh, but I... I
15: can't. We should love to have you. I know Phil's getting bored to death with me, and we've had such fun. Yes,
24: it has been fun. You know, I've been rustic for so long, I'd almost forgotten how pleasant London talk was.
16: Why don't you come swimming with us tomorrow? Yes.
24: You like to swim, but you'll only have to come back tomorrow to cash your check. Yes, that's true. And sort of that... Very well, I'll stay. Oh, that's great. We'll make a day of it tomorrow. I sent a wire to Mrs. Narracombe. I hoped that Megan would understand just this one day away from her wouldn't matter. It was the life that I'd always known gay, cheerful, normal people. Just a few more hours of their life before I left it all together didn't seem a wrong thing to do. Still, I was a pretty thing. Curious the calm way she looked at me. As if she
22: understood everything and would never question too deeply.
24: But that night I couldn't sleep. I thought of Megan. I was with her again. Under the living, breathing whiteness of the blossoms. The moonlight on her upturned face of innocence and humble passion. Megan. Poor little trusting Megan. How much did I really love her? How much was madness and the spring and the wild beauty of her? I thought of Stella. Cool, poised, but friendly. She belonged to the world I knew and understood. The world that understood me. Megan didn't understand and he could never belong. She loved me, but was that enough for either of us? I didn't know what to do. Phil and Stella had asked me to go with them to Tartness for a picnic. I hadn't given them a definite answer and I sent any further wire to Mrs. Maricom. Today I... I had to decide... I knew that. I went out for a walk along the cliff wall. There was a high sea running. There weren't many people about. I'd walked a mile or so, I guess, before I saw her. There she was. Megan in her old skirt and jacket and tamashanta. She was looking for me. I knew that at once. She'd look up into the faces of the passers-by, wavering, lost-looking and pitiful. I followed her for a long way. Once she stopped and leaned against the seawall, I wanted her again. I wanted her kisses, her abandonment, all her quick, warm, pagan emotion. the wonderful feeling of that night under the moonlit apple tree. But I couldn't move toward her. I couldn't let her know I was there. But suddenly I realized that to go back to the farm and love Megan out in the woods, among the rocks, with everything around wild and fitting, that was what I wanted and that was impossible not to transplant her to the town, to keep her in some little flat. And when the wild ecstasy wore off to find her commonplace, unable to fit into my world and no longer able to go back to her own, that was worse,
22: far worse.
24: I took another long, last look at that pathetic, wistful figure. Staring out over the sea. Goodbye, Megan. Goodbye, Later, I went back to London, traveling with the Halliday's. On the last day of April in the following year, Stella and I were married. All this I remembered as I sat there on a hill in the warm sun. As I remembered an ache for a lost youth. A hankering in a sense of wasted love and sweetness. The sun no longer warm, I got up and walked away down the road. There was a man standing by what I saw it was a grave, an old man. The grave was by the crossroads, and there was a moorstone stone to the west. On it someone had thrown a black saw spray. A handful of bluebells.
22: Good afternoon, Louise. sir. a nice day for a walk. You tell me whose grave is it. Well now that be quite a story. For a poor soul to kill herself for a long time ago. She were a pretty girl, but too loving-hearted. Too loving-hearted? I were working for Mrs. Merrickham in them days, and she were, too. There were a college gentleman staying with us. She took a fancy to him. He were a nice fellow, too. Then one day, he went away, sudden-like, and did never come back. After that, she were crying a lot. And then one day, I found her she were lying in a pool by the old apple tree by the stone where the gypsy Vogel's at. It June then but she'd found a little bit of apple blossom and stuck it in her air. I walked away. I'd heard enough. On the top
24: of the hill I lay down and buried my face in my hands Megan's face brushed close Megan with a sprig of apple blossoms And her dark wet hair if I can be with
5: you that is all
16: oh there you are Frank
15: look at my sketch it's pretty don't you think
16: yes very
24: pretty
15: Still, there's something wanting, isn't there?
24: Yes. Yes. There was something wanting the apple tree,
22: the singing, and the gold.
24: John Galsworthy's The Apple Tree. Miss Geraldine Fitzgerald played Megan, and uh, your obedient servant was Frank. Now, I'd like to tell you about a letter I received a few days ago, but before I do, here's a word from Lady Esther.
20: Do you know there are danger zones of your skin? Danger zones where blackheads get their start, where pore openings become enlarged. Where are these danger zones? In the curve next to your nose. ...in the tiny valleys around your mouth and chin... ...next to your eyes, across your forehead. You may not notice the first little blackhead, ...the first big pore... ...but soon they multiply... ...and there are more and more... ...until the first thing you know, your skin looks dull... ...and blemished. So guard the danger zones. Don't let dirt settle in your skin... ...in the mouths of your pores. Use Lady Esther four-purpose face cream... ...and use it generously... For my cream works right with nature. Helps nature. Every time you use it, here's what it does. First, it thoroughly cleanses your skin. Second, it softens your skin and relieves dryness. Third, it helps nature refine the pores. And fourth, it leaves a perfect non-sticky base for your powder and makeup. So change to this new simplified method of skin care. Say goodbye to all other creams and lotions. And start using Lady Esther for-purpose face cream.
24: Several days ago, I got a letter from a lady commenting on one of our shows. The a nice letter, but the postscript was the really interesting part. She remarked that because of something I said, she bought a defense bond. Now, I don't presume for a minute that my recommendation in financial matters means anything... But when we speak of defense bonds and stamps, I think we all know what we're talking about. We're talking about protecting liberties we have and want to hold. We're talking about preserving decency in a world perched on the brink of mad brutality. We're talking about guarding a proud tradition of friendliness between all men. All these things make for good talk, but more than that, they make for good action. And since we all know this, too, by next week, we'll have bought many more bonds and stamps. Until then, until a lot more defense bonds and stamps, till next week, Lady Esther and all of us in the Mercury Theater remain, as always, obediently yours.
13: This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. KNX, Columbia Square, Los Angeles.
2: Y'all, I'm ready to top off the Sunday. Last but not least, my strawberry and whipped cream for this week comes from a detective story called Box 13. This is a guy, he, somehow, he has this special box where uh, people put in things for him to investigate. The name of it is Actor's Alibi, and I liked it. Y'all did, too.
12: Box 13. With the style of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday.
9: Box 15. Fox 15.
12: Fox 15. Fox 15. Holiday, why did you ever leave a soft job as a reporter to become a freelance writer? Or why did you ever advertise for adventure? Or why? Well it makes you feel like a kid with a box of cracker Now you can't stop. You might run across a juicy peanut, or that grand prize that's supposed to come in each and every package. But you know by now that storylines like them don't grow on trees. Susie, where have you been?
4: You know where I've been, Mister Holiday. Down for the Star Times, after the mail.
12: Oh yes, the the mail. What's in box thirteen? <laughs> Thirteen, starring Alan Ladd as Dan Holiday. And now, Box Thirteen, starring Alan Ladd as Dan Holiday. Box Thirteen. I wish I'd never rented this thing. Wish I'd never even thought of it.
4: Mr. Holliday, you're early this morning. Well,
12: I had to see if my new secretary's on the ball.
4: <laughs> you know, since you rescued me from that nut factory down to start time, I'd work my fingers off the elbow for you.
12: Awful, oh, oh, now take it easy, Susie. You'll need those elbows to lean on when things get dull around here.
4: Dull? Oh, things don't get dull around you, Mr. Holliday.
12: Hey, what's that you're writing on, Loveless?
4: Yeah, it's a love letter to your publisher. Uh-oh. He wants to know where are the chapters you promised for the new book.
12: And what are you telling him, Susan?
4: <laughs> a lie. A big fat one.
12: <laughs> Thanks.
4: By the way, where are those chapters, Mr. Holidays?
12: If I had them, my secretary would have a lot of extra work. You don't like extra work, do you, Susie?
4: I don't like your worried look. When you don't have chapters, you have that look.
12: Oh, uh, does it show so much?
4: Like a chinchilla coat in the dime store.
12: (laughs) It's the hallmark of my profession, Susie. Say, what was in box 13 today?
4: Mm, Some goof wants you should fly to Mars with him in his homemade rocket. Oh, brother. Oh, yes. There was a ticket to a radio broadcast.
12: Radio broadcast?
4: Silky Soap presents Time for Drama, starring Gene Blake. 8 p.m. Federal Broadcasting Studio.
12: Now, who would want me to go to a radio show?
4: The advertising agency, maybe. Her.
12: Those guys don't read adventure wanted ads. Too busy dreaming up singing commercials.
4: Someone wants you to go to that broadcast awful bad. Yeah. She wrote please in the back of the envelope. She. Yes, yeah, she. And I don't like her taste in lipstick. The one she wrote this with is the color of blood. <laughs>
9: And now you have returned, my darling. I am alive again. The wind is down, but still the seas run high.
1: Time for Drama has presented The Wind is Down, starring
12: Jean Blake. In the cast were Robert Taylor as John, Agnes Sloan as Grandmother, and Marvin Masterson as the butler. This is SBC, The Federal Broadcasting Government. Sorry, sir. We're closing the studio. Huh? Oh, sure. Sure. I, I was meeting someone. There. They must have stood me up. Uh, someone in the cast, sir? Yes, it could be. Uh, I think they've all gone, but you might try the stage entrance. Oh, well, thanks. How do I get there? Uh, around the back of the building, sir. Just opposite the parking lot.
9: Oh, you bouldering
12: idiot. What? where did you're going. Sorry, I didn't see you coming around the corner. You autograph hounds always clutter up the entrance? For that,
1: I'll not
12: give you my step.
1: Oh, don't mind him, son. He's just an old ham. A has-been.
12: Oh, that's a heavy hunk of ham. Who is he, Pop?
1: His name's Marvin Masterson.
12: Not THE Marvin Masterson. Yep. He's washed up in pictures.
1: who on the stage, too. Does bits on the air now. Say, didn't I see him play a
12: butler on Time for Dramatum?
1: Yep. How oh, the mighty have fallen.
12: Say, Pop, you read that like an actor.
1: Well, what one once? Oh, not like Masterson, of course. But I can appreciate how he must feel.
12: Well, someone else did, too, when he said, fame is the flower of a day that dies when the next sun rises. Yeah.
1: You an actor, too, son?
12: Uh, no writer.
1: But the name wouldn't be Dan Holiday, would it? Yes, yeah, Why? The message for you.
12: Uh, from whom?
1: Don't know. Found this note on my desk. If uh, Mister Dan Holliday comes around, ask him to go to the Mayfair Restaurant.
12: Hey, what is this? I'm getting passed around like a like a collection plate.
1: And when you catch up to her, give her a pencil. That lipstick smeared up my call sheet. <laughs>
12: Oh, Monsieur Halliday, it is an honor to have you once more, as may Fair. You have deserted us too long. Working hard, Henri. Always. But tonight, you relax. You have fun,
17: eh,
22: Monsieur Halliday?
5: Mm-hmm.
12: What do you mean? A charming young lady waiting for you at your table.
9: Oh, I... I'd hoped you'd come, Mr. Holiday.
12: Why, you're... You're Jean Blake.
9: Yes. I must talk with you.
12: We'll order later, Henri. Now what is this all about?
9: Oh, I I suppose I am being rather mysterious.
12: (laughs) I'm used to mystery. Besides, not only a pencil. What's your problem? Pencil? Yes, that lipstick you write notes with uh, comes off on things.
9: Oh. I'm in danger, Mister Holliday. Grave danger.
12: But why come to me?
9: I know about you in Box Thirteen. You advertise, adventure wanted. Will go any place, do anything. I need help, so... So? Mr. Holiday, I'm going to be killed. I'll do anything you ask, but you must help me. You must.
12: Oh, no, look, Miss Blake, I'm a writer, not a detective. Hello, I'm
1: Monsieur Holliday. Yes, Honor. There's a call for you. May I plug you in, Nicole?
12: A call? Oh, sure. Excuse me, please. Hello? You must be psychic. Who is this? You see, if see, into your future is being psychic, I suppose I am. You see, when I ring off, I know
1: you will tell that beautiful young woman sitting next to you that you can't help her. Oh? Surprise.
12: Yeah, a little. What makes you so sure? that i don't see something else you don't see is a gun it's aimed precisely between your eyes No, don't look around you can't see it from there but an expert marksman can see you however every move you're uh, you're in his restaurant
9: Look, I'll pay you anything.
12: I don't want your money, Miss Blake. I want you to see the police.
9: You won't help me? No. That's final? That's final. Very well. Goodbye, Mr. Holiday.
12: Well, oh, nice going, Holiday. A young woman in distress pleads for help, and what do you do? Send her out into the night alone. But you had to do it, so that that madman on the phone wouldn't hurt somebody. Now you've got to find her and fast.
1: Henri. Henri. Wait me, minute, lady.
12: That girl who just left, Jean Blake. Did you see where she went? we meet you. She walked toward the park. <laughs> but no Jean Blake. Oh, there she is. Miss Blake.
5: Miss
9: Blake, wait. Oh,
5: no. It's all right,
12: Miss Blake. Oh. Dan holiday. Oh, but I thought No time for thinking. Get in my car quickly. <laughs> sure Sure, holiday this would have made a great springboard for a yarn but you're out of it now so I'll just forget the whole thing anyway what would you have done for the last chapter Last chapter of course uh, if you should go back to the Mayfair for lunch tomorrow you just might run across something interesting (laughs) you, Dan Holliday, yes. the author. I thought this much. I've seen your pictures on dust jackets of your very exciting books.
4: I'm a fan
12: of yours. Well, have a seat, <laughs> Mr. Masters. Ah, you recognize me. Have we bumped into one another before? Well, I'd call it a near miss, but along with a few million others, I'd i recognize you anyway. Personally, I detest dining alone. Since no one was with you, I took
1: the liberty.
12: My pleasure, sir. Thank you. Henri,
1: serve my dinner here. You sir?
12: Your voice is very distinctive, Mr. Masterson. Huh. Seems I've heard it just recently. Of course.
1: It was on the radio.
9: I've been doing a bit of...
1: That, you know. Simply
12: for amusement, of course. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, I saw you on Gene Blake's show last evening. You played the butler. Ah,
1: yes. I asked them not to credit me. He's just dabbling with radio. A a new medium, you see.
12: Well, I'm sure the name Masterson means a great deal, even to the radio audience.
1: The public soon. It's gone, Mr. again. The phone is connected. Oh, thank you, honey. Hello?
12: Hello, Mr. Holiday. It gonna happen. I
9: told you about it. I know it is. If only you could come now. No. No, don't shoot. Oh,
12: Hello. Hello. Good Lord. Holiday. What's wrong? Seems like He's just been murdered.
1: You are listening to Box 13, starring Alan Ladd
12: as Dan Holliday. And now, back to Box 13. Starring Alan Ladd as Dan Holiday. Well, what a sleuth you turned out to be, Holiday! You sit in on a mutual admiration session with a tired old ham actor, and the gal you're trying to protect gets knocked off. Hold it, Mac. Where do you think you're going, Miss Blake? Miss Blake ain't seeing nobody. Yeah, that's for sure. She's dead. Dead. Are you crazy, mister? I've been here all the time. Which part of the duplex is hers? Upstairs. But you can't... Come on. This it? Yes. But I... Come on, bust it in. See what I mean?
1: Suicide, huh? What did she take?
12: Suicide. You better look again. She was shot. That's impossible.
1: I'd have heard something. I've been here six hours
12: and I ain't heard no shot. But there were three shots. I heard them just fifteen minutes ago. You heard them. You wasn't here fifteen minutes ago. Or was you? Were you? I told you I've been here six hours. Didn't you leave for cigarettes or something? I told you, I've been here. Yeah, I know you've been here six hours. But who was around before I got here? No one. That is, nobody but them. Nobody Nobody but who? The tenants of the other apartment. An old guy and his daughter. name of Masterson. Masterson? Look, Mac, you know too much about this. I'm holding you till I get the inspector down here. Sure, when you phone in, tell headquarters to send along a magician's manual. Huh? You didn't hear any shots. This thing must have been done with mirrors. Did you talk to Miss Blake after you left her last night? No, not until she phoned me this noon, Inspector, at the restaurant. She phoned you at the restaurant this noon? Yeah, that's right. I was having lunch with a guy from downstairs. Marvin Masterson. Well, I got news for you, Holiday. If you talked to anybody, it wasn't Miss Blake. What do you mean? She couldn't have telephoned you. She's been dead over 12 hours. How about that? Holiday. Holiday, where's that good ear you're supposed to have? Sure, you'd swear it was Miss Blake's voice. But she was dead 12 hours before. Look, Holiday. You're trying to find the last chapter. But even you couldn't write this one. But it was her voice. Come on now, think, Holiday. What did she say over the phone? It's going
9: to happen. What I told you about. I know you. If only you could come
12: now. Something else that came over that wire. Something a good ear would have picked up. If only you could come now. If only you could come now. Think, Holiday. Think. What else did you hear over that phone? A clock. A clock's. Sounding the Westminster Abbey Chimes. Yes?
9: Yeah. Coming. Yes?
12: Miss Masterson, I'm Dan Holliday.
9: Oh, yes. Good evening. Won't you come in?
12: I'm sorry to intrude.
9: Oh, not at all. Father told me he lunched with you this noon.
12: Oh, Yes. Is your father at home? No. Oh.
9: Is there something I can do?
12: Oh, yes. Answer a few questions, if you will.
9: Well, if it's about that poor girl upstairs, the police have already questioned father and me extensively. Poor father. He was so upset he went out to our beach cottage for a few days.
12: I'd like very much to know... Can't
9: you get your information from headquarters? No. Why?
12: You see, I know more than the police do.
9: Isn't withholding evidence
12: of crime, Mr. Holliday? Yes. So is aiding and abetting a murder.
9: I'm afraid that's not very clear.
12: Some details are not clear to me. That's why I'm...
9: Are you insinuating that...
12: No. I'm accusing
9: Accusing whom of what?
12: A father and his daughter of murder and abetting a murder,
9: respectively.
12: That's ridiculous. I don't think so.
9: (laughs) I get it. This is just a gag cooked up between you and my father. Well, it really isn't very funny.
12: It's no gag. Your father murdered Gene Blake. And I believe you helped me, Miss Masterson. And now I'm sure of it.
9: Is my silence that expresses.
12: No, but your clock strikes the Westminster chime.
9: Chime? I don't see what they've got to do with it.
12: I see several things. You're a fancy record player, for one. It does have an attachment to make the recordings, doesn't it?
9: Mr. Holliday, you have no right to ask questions. The police got all the information they wanted.
12: But not the evidence to convict Marvin Masterson. I know he's a murderer.
9: You'll have to prove that.
12: This noon over the phone, I heard Jean Blake calling for help. Then I heard the shots that killed her.
9: Well, if my father was dining with you at the time, how could he be the killer?
12: I heard the murder, but not at the time it was committed. It was you, Miss Masterson, who telephoned me at the restaurant.
9: Are you trying to say I'm clever enough to go through that shooting routine and then fake Jean Blake's voice over the phone?
12: It was Miss Blake's voice, all right. However, I heard it. Twelve hours after your father killed her in this apartment. Later, he carried her body upstairs.
9: That's fantastic.
12: Is it? Mind if I go through this collection of records? I should find the one Jean Blake was forced to cut on this machine before she was shot to death. No, don't. Please, I... Oh, you did play that record I heard on the phone.
9: Yes. But I thought it was a joke father was playing on someone. He phoned me a few minutes before and told me what to do.
12: What did you think when you discovered Miss Blake was dead?
9: I was frantic. You see, Father warned me to forget all about the record. He refused to answer any of my questions. Mr. Holliday. My father can't be responsible for this tragedy. He's just a broken old man. He was the idol of millions for so long, and now they don't want him anymore. It's breaking his heart. Please. Please, I'm begging you to forget all about this, Mr. Holliday.
12: I thought you might be innocently involved. But I'm afraid you can't protect your father from a murder charge.
9: Well, what will I do with him?
12: I'm sorry, Miss Masterson, but, but I'll have to take that back. Don't touch that cabinet holiday. Oh, you didn't like the beach, Masterson. I didn't go. You're too clever to be out of my sight. Being at this end of your gun might indicate a surprise. But I don't like
9: guns pointing at me. Hey, get out of the way. Hey. He, he was going to shoot you. Oh,
12: oh, you're so right. Fortunately, you got in the way. Are you convinced now that he killed Miss Blake?
9: Yes. I'm afraid I am. How did you know it was done here and not up in Jean's apartment?
12: Jean didn't have a clock. It strikes the Westminster Abbey Chance. This is Box Thirteen, starring Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday. <laughs> in is a proud benefit. It boasts and begs. It begs arms of homage from the throng and off the throng denies its charity. Holiday. Uh, What's that, Inspector? I said that Masterson was a fool. Imagine his insane jealousy of a young performer leading him into a murder plot. Oh, I know, but after all, look at it from Masterson's viewpoint. He'd been a great star, and I was reduced to playing a bit. Hmm. In support of a girl he considered a upstart. Yeah. Well, Well, too bad. Yes, yeah, his thinking went awry on him. He figured if he got rid of her, they might rebuild the show around him. Yeah, the old boy was nutty as a peck of peanut brittle.
4: Well, Mr. Holliday, could I go over to Star Time and see what's in box 13?
12: Oh, not this morning, Susie. Today we worked.
4: Chapters for our publisher?
12: Chapters for our dear publisher.
4: Good. Oh, say, before we start, there's a letter here for you.
12: A letter? What's it say?
4: It's from the man who owns the apartment building where you live. Yeah? It says, your rent is past due. Get it up or get out.
12: Oh, fine. Next week, same time, Alan Ladd stars as Dan Holliday in Box 13. Alan Ladd appears through the courtesy of Paramount Pictures and may comfortably be seen in Wild Harvest. Box 13 is directed by Ted Hediger, with an original story by Frank Hart-Tossie. The part of Susie is played by Sylvia Picker. Original music was composed and conducted by Rudy Schrager.
6: This is a Mayfair production.
2: Okay, everybody. Um, this is it for this week, and I hope you had as much fun as I did. Uh, I always have fun out here, especially when I get my guru over here going. Um, he always laughs at me. So. Uh, but, so, uh, hope you enjoy the show. Be sure to give us comments uh, uh, and suggestions, whatever you'd like to have, and I'll do my best to find it for you. And... Um, Be sure to like us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Um, Subscribe to us. Um, Subscribe to us on any podcast that you want to. I know I went over this earlier. Uh, But I think I forgot to give you my address. And uh, you can always write to Victor at whose Blind Life Is It Anyway at gmail.com. But if you want to write to me personally, uh, my address is CoffeeGal62, C-O-F-F-E-E-G-A-L62 at gmail. And on Twitter, I'm o 60 M-O-N-N-I60. On Facebook, I'm simply Monica Jones. And that's a wrap, folks.